This is Free Talk Live, and we're launching into another edition of fun and excitement here, taking your phone calls for three hours about whatever's on your mind. If you make the calls, 800-259-9231, you can take control of the airwaves, and tonight it's Ian with you. And Luther. And Mark. And you can join us on our website at freetalklive.com. We give you the features for free, so enjoy those on us. Again, that's freetalklive.com. And we'll jump right in here. Uh, Again, you can dial in about anything, (sighs) 800-259-9231. We can all breathe a sigh of relief. Really? Barack Obama has decided to order new security measures to foil terror plots. Yay! (sighs) Wow. I was so worried. (laughs) I mean, why did he do this before? Well, uh, I don't know. <laughs> Not that this is anything important. <laughs> no, or... this is this is stupid government bullcrap. Yeah, it's posturing. Um, same That's thing all. over and over again. But but I mean, one has to ask the question: Why, uh, you know, with the largest expansion of government ever under the Bush administration, why the hell doesn't wasn't this done then? Well, they did. He said the same things then. Let me get to yes. some of the quotes here. I mean, it's essentially the same uh, speech or whatever, and just. Given by Barack Obama. I I swear they must hire the same people to write these things. Bloomberg reporting that Barack Obama has said, the buck stops with me. Yesterday, as he ordered measures to improve intelligence operations and security screening in response to the attempted bombing of an airliner on Christmas Day. To foil future attacks, Obama directed heads of the main U.S. intelligence agencies to set clear lines of responsibility for following up (laughs) leads on terrorist threats and to bolster the system for adding names to watch lists. Because responsibility, that's what the government's about. All those bureaucrats, they want nothing more to do than to take responsibility when something (laughs) goes wrong. Yeah, don't don't you worry. Uh, Obama himself will take responsibility here in a moment. Oh, wow. Uh, as though that means anything. <laughs> With his superpowers. The, the, these people can't be held responsible because they steal money. <laughs> there's there's no way. It doesn't matter if they set clear lines of anything or reorganize this or uh, well, increase funding to that. The Supreme Court has ruled over and over and over and over and over again that the government isn't responsible for what it does to protect you. So the very idea... But that's not what Obama says. I don't care what Obama says. He's lying. That's not what He's Bush a said. Politi- <laughs> He's lying, too. They're politicians. Democrats and Republicans. Same thing. Uh, I mean, I mean, the, the Supreme Court has ruled there's no responsibility there, so there's no responsibility. And they're not going to act like they're responsible when they're not. <laughs> You'll love this. Obama said that agencies and their leaders will be held accountable if they don't uh, carry out the necessary changes. He also said he wasn't interested in passing out blame for the December 25th incident. So on one hand, he says, <laughs> I am going to hold these agencies accountable in the future, but... We're not going to hand out any blame for what happened in the past. This time. So, so, yeah, we're going to be responsible in the future, but we're not going to hold anybody responsible for what already went uh, went by. But trust us, from now on, we're going to hold these people to the flames. Yeah, we'll get around to it when we, when yeah. we feel like it. Next time, you believe him, we'll right? be responsible. 
so uh, again, the story here says that. Oh, oh, and I love how they're they're going to bolster the system for adding names to the watch list. Now, don't you worry about getting your name off of the watch list because <laughs> that's impossible. There is no system for that. He's not worried about all those people that have had their names confused with alleged terrorists that are on the watch list and have you know had their lives basically crapped on. But it's easy now to get on the watch list. But it's yeah. really, but it's it, you know it's just as impossible to get off. Exactly. So he said that, uh, this is uh, his quote, as president, I have a solemn responsibility to protect our nation and our people. And when the system fails, it is my responsibility. Which is pretty much the same thing that George Bush has said. You heard him repeat over and over again that it's his job as president to protect the country. And that's not the president's job, right? The president's job constitutionally at least, is to essentially enact uh, or veto legislation and be the head of the executive branch. That, He's swindler in chief. Yeah, but there's yeah. there's no actual responsibility of, uh, as you pointed out, Mark, the government to do anything at all, and that includes the president. The Supreme Court has made it pretty clear, and uh, Mark Stevens over at Adventures in Legal Land or markstevens.net has uh, cited those in If in you're his questioning works. this in your mind, listener... Um, you're, it's you're, something they're going to be shocked about. I mean, they've right. been told forever that the government's there to protect them. If you think that the government is there to protect you, I'd ask you this question. Um, when, the, uh, when the cops fail to protect your house from getting broken into, do you get to send them a bill for everything that got stolen? No, no. it's ludicrous <laughs> that you'd be able to do such a thing. Why? Because they're not responsible for your house being broken into. They're not responsible for protecting it. Now, one might be able to guess that if uh, you would be able to come with a contract with a security company that says, hey, if my house gets broken into, I'm going to pay you X number of dollars per month. And if my house gets broken into, you're responsible for compensating me for it. One could imagine that. But one can't imagine the government security agency doing that because the government isn't responsible. The new policies and procedures outlined by the president and his advisors are intended to correct what Obama called systemic failures in the sifting of intelligence data to more quickly identify terrorist threats. In fact, Mark, you had a story. He's right about systemic failures. You had a story last night, and I don't know if you have it handy, but if you could pull it up, uh, it would be great, about how, I guess, what you told me that that uh, these federal agencies, the FBI, the CIA, there's all these encouragements out there to, if you see it, report it, you know, call one. <laughs> 1-800-whatever and snitch on your neighbors. Right. And apparently they're getting so many reports that they don't actually have the ability to filter through them in any meaningful fashion. <laughs> so it's completely a wash. Right. So they, they've they've uh, put up these these methods for people to snitch on whomever it is that they wish to snitch on. And, and they are. They're doing it in, in droves. And there's not enough bureaucrats to sift through it. Well, we just and need to hire more bureaucrats. God knows if we, if, if we did do that, how awful life would be because, you know, everybody would be a suspect at that point. But I've got it right here whenever you're ready. Yeah, pull, just pull that up. Uh, the report said that the counterterrorism systems and watch lists need to be improved rather than overhauled. What, what does that mean exactly? Don't they normally use the it, term? It doesn't. We don't need to. Uh, even though we have a systemic problem, we don't need to change the system. We just need to tweak it a little bit. Well, normally they love using terms like overhaul and, uh, you know, how they, they love to brag about how it's the biggest reorganization the federal government has seen in decades. This is yeah. it's just talking points, Ian. They got to say the word overhaul. Yeah, they're yeah. just trying to sell their, their view 
on any particular subject. And in this particular subject, it has some happens to be, oh, well, we'll do more this time, and we promise. And more, we are different. at war. Yeah. We are at war against Al-Qaeda, said Obama. We will do whatever it takes to defeat them. So how will you know when you've defeated them? What is Al-Qaeda? Are we still at war with them? I didn't even know that. Al-Qaeda is the name that the CIA gave to some Mujahideen or whatever um, that were in Afghanistan that we were funding during the, uh, the, the, the Soviet war over there. And then they just kind of expanded the definition. Al-Qaeda doesn't mean anything. It's in a U.S. intelligence label for people that don't take that label. So how can you know if you've beaten people that don't call themselves what it is you're calling them? <laughs> You don't. Right. And that's the idea, right? It's an, it's the We've eternal beaten the war. boogeymen because we say we have. It's, yeah, it's over when they say it is. Which will be never, just like the right. war on drugs. These people will never want to end the war on terror because it is yet another source of uh, power and opportunity for them. Oh, yeah. And revenue. So, again, just more posturing here. Uh, and, you know, the story goes on to talk about how, I guess, the guy, the underwear bomber, has been indicted and... Uh, the, they ruled the government had sufficient information to have potentially disrupted the plot by identifying him as an al-Qaeda operative and preventing him from boarding the flight in Amsterdam. No single component of U.S. counterterrorism operations assumed responsibility for the threat reporting and followed it through by ensuring surprise, that all necessary surprise, steps surprise. were taken to disrupt the threat. <laughs> Nobody took responsibility. Right. Wow. So they had information. They could have done something. They didn't. Way to go, guys. Uh, make sure you pay your taxes this year. 800-259-9231. That's the SACL CAI toll-free line. You can bring up whatever's on your mind because, man, this is some great service, isn't it? 1-800-259-9231. Of course, we're leaving aside the fact that the government itself creates terrorism by going and terrorizing people around the world, dropping bombs and killing them. That's another point. More coming up here. You can bring up anything. 800-259-9231. It's Free Talk Live. Have you been thinking about starting a website? I'm going to tell you about a great offer from HostGator. HostGator is a worldwide leader for web hosting, and they make it easy to get your own .com domain name. You create your very own website with their free site builder tools and templates. Use the coupon code FTL. That's FTL is in Free Talk Live. And sign up at HostGator.com to receive your first month completely free. Whether you want a personal blog or a complete e-commerce business website, let the experts at HostGator.com host you. This is Free Talk Live, and you can take control of the airwaves by dialing in toll-free at 800-259-9231. That's the SACL CAI toll-free line, and tonight it's Ian with you. And Luther. And Mark. And you can join us online at freetalklive.com. We give you the features for free, so enjoy those on us. Again, features uh, including things like our Shrine of Female Listeners, which is brought to you by Manchester Brewing at manchesterbrewing.com. You can go to shrine.freetalklive.com to see the lady listeners that have taken the time to send us their validated photo or video showing they are indeed listeners of the show at shrine.freetalklive.com. Journalism internships for college-age students interested in journalism and passionate about liberty? Learn more about print, broadcast, or investigative journalism by interning at a newspaper, media network, or state policy organization. The program includes a week-long career workshop, a stipend, and housing assistance. 
Receive mentoring and job search assistance during and after your internship. Placements are available during the summer and fall. Apply for a um, summer placement by January the 31st at libertarianinternships.com. You have to sign up for an account there. Just going and checking it out isn't going to get uh, isn't going to get you to either your internship or the new information that's always coming out. Go sign up for an account at libertarianinternships.com. So we started the show out with a Bloomberg report on how Barack Obama is talking about the necess- uh, the necessity to fix what he called systemic failures in the sifting of intelligence data that uh, the the system needs to be bolstered and improved and essentially acknowledging that they suck and that they've failed, uh, but also saying the same old thing you hear every few years from the government. That is that, well, we blew it this time, like they did after Hurricane Katrina. But don't worry, we'll replace this one bureaucrat over here and reorganize the uh, organization or bring some more money in and give them some more money. And then you can rest easy, Americans. We are looking out for you. Even though, as you pointed out, Mark, the Supreme Court has, uh, has made it clear the government has no obligation to protect or provide once, you but with any services. Time and time again. Yeah, just within the last few years, they, they did it again. And uh, so just in a related story, Mark, you've got something uh, about how these government bureaucrats have – so many tips because they've been encouraging Americans to snitch on each other. Well, Americans are snitching on each other, and what has resulted? Uh, Yahoo News AFP. Uh, U.S. intelligence officers under pressure to better track terrorist threats are hampered by their own vast bureaucracy and an <laughs> overwhelming flow of information, analysts say. President Barack Obama has now discovered that he's inherited an intelligence community in the United States which is bloated bureaucratic and <laughs> even with the best of intentions has become so large it finds it very hard to put together the pieces <laughs> who said that well bruce rydell former cia officer told the afp oh so it was all george bush's fault and uh so therefore just wait give him a few years obama will turn it all around and make it less bureaucratic and a tight operating right. ship you're going to take a bunch of bureaucrats and make it less bureaucratic People that are not incentivized really by you know, market forces at all to do their jobs are suddenly going to get better at doing their jobs. The same sort of people that, well, man the post office and the military and every mm-hmm. other government bureaucracy are suddenly going to get efficient at the CIA and handling this huge bureaucracy. of yeah. An angry Obama took the spy agencies to task this week after an attempt to blow up a U.S. airliner on Christmas Day was <laughs> narrowly averted. By Who passengers. Crap? Passengers. <laughs> Is this the AP? Free P- AFP. Oh, okay. Um, was narrowly averted, saying that services overlooked key clues. Although top security and military officials acknowledged failures and vowed to improve, making the 16 agencies with an army of uh, 200,000 employees <gasps> more efficient and nimble. <laughs> Remained a daunting task, says uh, Rydell. News photos of Obama meeting in a room full of top intelligence officials illustrated the problem, says Rydell, following at the... uh, Well, that must look really impressive to people, right? Like... It's just like something you, you'd see in the movies with the president sitting down with all of his suited uh, men and the, the people in their uniforms. Around and, a circular table. Right. Okay. A, a we've great got a problem. Table. We've got a problem here, and uh, and I want you guys to handle this. Don't worry, Obama. Uh, president uh, Obama will uh, will take care of this. We're going to move some, uh, some people around. Uh, we're going to restructure. We're going to reorganize. And we're going to come out on top. We're going to stop these terrorists, and uh, don't you worry about it. We'd fire some people, but their union would sue us. 
Right, so we're just going to move them around. Uh, we, we can get rid of this one guy who's at the head of this agency, but it's all right. We'll get rid of him, but don't worry, buddy. We'll bring you back on as a consulting gig. That's what they did after Hurricane Katrina, if, in case you don't yep. recall. Yeah, the, the head of FEMA. Uh, what was his name? Who cares? Yeah. <laughs> they come and they go. You know, yeah, it's hardly yeah, yeah. even worth remembering their names. Just there suits. Two dozen people in that room. And this is uh, the, 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 the former CIA guy in there. There are two dozen people in that room. Why are that many people trying to run the show? Why doesn't he have an intelligence senior official who he goes to um, who's in charge of everything? Because that's going to fix it. You put one intelligence czar over the DIA, the mm-hmm. CIA, the NSA, they and every have other. That. The Homeland Security guy. Whatever, right. man. Yeah, and a whole another bureaucracy to follow him. It's crazy. It's, you, you think that you're going to make this bureaucracy quick and nimble? I'm sorry, no. you're not. It's just the nature of bureaucracy. Absolutely. It's the nature of an organization that gets paid when it makes mistakes, that gets more money, more funding, and more attention when it makes mistakes. That's right. That is what is going to happen. And it's, t- it's so textbook. I mean, what we've been talking about this entire half hour so far is just textbook bureaucratic covering. Nobody ever takes responsibility. The other the other article we uh, started the show with, Obama points out that we're going to hold people responsible in the future, but I'm not going to uh, place any blame for what already happened. So no one is ever held responsible. If anyone is ever held responsible, like the FEMA guy, they boot him out the door, make a big to-do about it. Well, this guy, oh, getting rid of him. And then quietly bring him back in the back door as a, as a consultant or something like that or give him an incredible amount of severance pay or, you know, whatever. These people are taken care of when they're, uh, when they're kicked out the door. So nothing ever really changes, not even the tactics, not even the, the, the speeches. They don't have to. Why would they change their tactics? Americans still go to the polls, they still vote for these nimrods, and they still pay their taxes. Yeah. Why in the world would the taxes, the tactics change? Exactly. There's no reason at all for them to change. I mean, you know, your customers may be a little grumpy, but it's not like they can go anywhere else and buy these services. They're continuing to pay. You don't like pay. it, leave. That's right. You <laughs> hate America. In the intelligence business, bigger is not necessarily better, says the the sage uh, intelligence analyst here that's uh, reporting, you know, being used as a source for the <laughs> AFP. Well, wait, wait, wait. When he's saying that, what he means is he doesn't think 12 people should be deciding on uh, what happens. What he, he thinks, thinks one is man he should, should be in, ch- in charge of right. all of the intelligence stuff, and then he could tell us all. Yeah, he would never uh, suggest uh, axing a portion of those 200,000 workers, that's for sure. Reforms introduced after the attacks of September 11th created a new director of national intelligence that was supposed to harness the bureaucracy, but the position was never empowered with enough authority, said Rydell. (laughs) They need more power. And it needs to be (laughs) me. solve this. The botched handling of the attempted Christmas Day plot carried on an eerie echo of the failures of 9-11. It sure did. Same crap all over again. Almost 10 years later, too. And he said this is uh, two for- this is two former uh, members of the commission that investigated the September 11th attacks. They said that. Toll-free number is 800-259-9231. That is the SACL CAI toll-free line. You're welcome to comment on this or bring up uh, anything that might happen to be on your mind. Coming up, somebody tried to do something about this crime situation in this country and uh, open carry some weapons in California. Luther's going to tell us about that, and uh, you can bring up anything. This is Free Talk Live. This program is brought to you by Freekeen.com. Freekeen.com features audio, video, and blogs chronicling the transition to a voluntary society. 
Freekeen.com also has comments and discussion forums so you can be heard. Freekeen.com. This is Free Talk Live, and you can bring up anything by dialing in toll-free at 800-259-9231. That's the SACL CAI toll-free line. 800-259-9231. Tonight, it's Ian with you. And Luther. And Mark. Join us online at freetalklive.com. We give the features for free, so enjoy those on us. Again, freetalklive.com. Features including, by the way, the chat room. Go to chat.freetalklive.com. You can get interactive with other Free Talk Live listeners. Best time is during the show. Yeah, or shortly thereafter, there's usually people hanging out there for uh, at least another hour or so. Chat.freetalklive.com. And take the Startpage.com seven-day challenge for seven days. Use Startpage.com instead of your big brother search engine and experience the difference. You'll get search results aggregated from 12 major search engines. And unlike your old search engine, you'll have complete privacy in your search. Start the seven-day challenge today at startpage.com. That's startpage.com. As we continue here, let's go to the phones and the fun. Scott is on the line in Massachusetts. You're on Free Talk Live. Hello, Scott. Sounds like he hung up. Scott, did we did we lose you? He's gone. All right, 800-259-9231. So, Mark, was there more to your story uh, about the security experts being overloaded with snitching, or was that pretty much... Yeah, there is. I mean, you know, it's one can expect everything that they say, but, you know... It's it's all funny um, with the with its many this uh, the 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 expert um, apparently oh this is a couple of uh, other experts with its many jurisdictional boundaries and its persistent bureaucratic fault lines our current system although greatly improved since 9/11 <laughs> affords many opportunities to let information slip too many occasions for human frailty to assert itself now let me get this straight. Uh, the government was informed about the existence of the bomber, just like 9-11, mm-hmm. and the bomber went about his business and did what he did, just like 9-11, but our system is greatly improved. Sure, sure. You can see it, right? Oh, yeah. No. It's, it should be crystal clear. No. I mean, it costs more. It must be better. It certainly costs more. They certainly <laughs> hassle a lot of people on the way into their airplanes. Yeah. Well, that's okay. Obama will make it all better now. Yeah, well, yeah. Well, taking well, responsibility. Mark, there are some. I mean, there are some things that are visibly different. Uh, they're and different. That they would I, claim are better. They're like, claiming better. They're searching people now a whole lot at the border and uh, within uh, 50 miles from within the border at random checkpoints and stationary checkpoints and things like that. They're harassing everybody. That, they're not doing that, that because through. of terror. They're doing that because of immigration. They want to catch illegal aliens. Well, that's what they claim. But I mean, they're doing it for all kinds of reasons. They also want to catch drug dealers, too. The, terror, the, 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 the 9-11 perpetrators were in the country legally. Uh, I'm just saying, they could they could claim that because they have more uh, frustrations and inconveniences for the American people, that that means that they're doing a better job. You know, it's the frustrations and inconveniences and uh, killing and, and destruction that these people have, uh, you know, started with, with their wars of aggression in the Middle East and uh, their occupation of these, uh, these these countries in the Middle East. And by occupation, I mean bolstering the kings and sheiks and whatever they are over there um, in these foreign countries with – because, well – their people happen to sit on a land with a whole bunch of oil in it that's very interested, interesting to us, and thereby raising the ire of what you know to me seem like uh, you know like an area of the world of people that are probably religious fanatics to, to more extent than you know I, I would prefer them to be. So you know let's go smack the hornet's nest with a big stick and uh, see whether some hornets come out and sting us, and if they do, it's their fault. So is there more? Uh, yeah, it keeps on going. Spy agencies are uh, now share information in a way that they did not share it before 9-11. But ah, see? They finally got email. 
They still <laughs> struggle to sort through a massive and you growing laugh, hold, on, hold on, Luther laughs, but there was a story, I don't know if you heard about it. I hadn't. A few years ago about how a significant portion of the FBI just was not email capable. They didn't have email <laughs> they or email had, addresses. They really? had hired in multiple IT administrators with the intention of getting them to implement an email system for the FBI, and these guys would, would up and quit for likely because you know they were being hired from the private market and then had to go and work as an IT administrator for a bureaucracy and it was probably intolerably uh, intolerably bad but you know we didn't get to hear what they had to say as to why they were quitting but the job never got completed they spent like 170 million dollars on trying wow. to implement email for the FBI <laughs> and this was just a couple of years ago a few a few years back i don't remember exactly wow. when we talked about that but just go go ahead I, I could set up email when I was, you know, in the single digits age. Right. Well, I mean, you know, they, they, they can't have regular oh, understandably. You know, email because, you know, if you just put uh, luther.fbi <laughs> at, at gmail.com, then, you know, then everybody's going to do it. My pretty password soon, is password. Pretty soon we're going to have medj.fbi <laughs> at gmail.com. We're going to have, uh, you know... I Freeman at uh, <laughs> at gmail dot com dot yeah. fbi at gmail dot com. But it's still not. Uh, It'll be anarchy. It's it's still not something that is very difficult. I mean, they, you mentioned Gmail. Google, while it is uh, great in many ways, is also like a lot of companies, very obedient to the state. I'm sure if they just went to Google and said, "Hey, <laughs> can you uh, can you help us out?" You know, they absolutely <laughs> would do that. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Because Absolutely. Google hosts domain names. Our freetalklive.com email is going through Google servers when you send us uh, email. They they make a that's one of the things they do. You can set up your domain name and multiple email addresses underneath it to be hosted by Google. But you know that would probably be uh, too inexpensive for them, and they would. You know, the, some contractor would miss out on making $170 million. Yeah, they got to come in over budget. That way they get a bigger budget next year. Exactly. It's, yeah, that's always the case. Yep. All right, so more, Mark? Yeah, the, um, they, but they still struggle to sort through a massive and growing amount of data about, uh, about <laughs> potential terrorist plots and suspects, experts say. The problem is that the system is clogged with information, one former CIA officer told the Washington Post. Huge numbers of names and details and possible suspects are overwhelming the agency, said the officer. Most of it isn't inter- um, most of, of it isn't of interest, but people are afraid not to put it in. Yeah, I love uh, – oh, man, what was I listening? I think it was – I was sampling Ernest Hancock's show recently to possibly get him on the, uh, the Liberty Radio Network as one of our programs – and it was a great show. I haven't gotten in touch with his syndicate, and they never got back to me, so maybe I'll work on that later. But nonetheless, when I was listening, he played one of the clips from the 4409 guy. I guess he's got this – there's this chick over there. They've got the YouTube channel 4409. There's some very uh, – some entertaining videos there. But I guess what had happened was uh, she'd been calling bureaucrats, and they finally told her to start recording these calls. And one of the, I think it was the gist of one of her calls where she was basically calling in and reporting just silly nonsense uh, to these people as though she were a concerned <laughs> citizen about something that her neighbors were doing or something that she saw when she was downtown. And it was I, – I don't remember how asinine – I can't give you the exact example of, of what she said, but it was just some stupid I'd garbage. I'd be afraid to get on the radio and say that I did that. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was brilliant though because you just you, – you could call from a – you could call from a pay phone. You could act like you're a really concerned person and you could talk about, you know, some random crap about how I have been watching this guy and he's been walking his dogs uh, every day 
around my neighborhood, and today he had five dogs instead of two. One of them had a very big collar on. You know, just coming up with <laughs> – I just came up with that on the spot. I don't know if it's probably not the most creative thing, but just coming up with some mundane something or other that a paranoid busybody might call the government agency for. You know, you don't leave any contact information. Just give them another message to listen to during the daytime. I don't see any particular point in doing that. I mean, I, I, I'm not for – Terror, And if the government agencies manage to, in their wide sweeping net full of holes, manage to catch themselves one person that, uh, you know, might commit some heinous act, I'm for them catching that. I just don't think that these people are are the best qualified. You know, honestly, I wonder if they're remotely qualified, quite honestly, but I don't think they're the best qualified people to do this. And I think that they um, that the government (laughs) themselves are the ones that create the problem. I remember one of the calls. It was brilliant. Actually, she was talking to somebody who was at one of these report lines. It was an anonymous tip line for guns. So the idea was that you'd call in if you knew somebody who had a gun, and then the cops would go, and if they made an arrest, you'd get a $1,000 cash reward. And so she was asking questions about the reward. Well, how do I get the reward? Can I get it now? Uh, <laughs> you know, What do I need to give you? I'd like to get, you know, get, the, get the reward. And they said, well, well who do you know that, that has a gun? What kind of gun do they have? Well, they've got machine guns. Well, who are they? Where where are they? And she ended up describing the police to the police. <laughs> it was hilarious. Genius. <laughs> yeah. Toll-free wow. number, 800-259-9231. I've always thought it would be fun in the airport to uh, to go up to one of the cops that are there and, and describe, you know, there's these people that uh, they're they're dealing in stolen property and accepting stolen money, and they're running all around. Yeah. They're the TSA. <laughs> Get them. You know. They're wearing good. uniforms. Uh, all right. We can uh, come back with more. Take your calls about anything. This is Free Talk Live. This is Free Talk Live. You can take control of the airwaves if you dial in toll-free, 800-259-9231. That number is brought to you by our friends at SACL CAI, 1-800-259-9231. You can join us online at freetalklive.com, where we give you the features for free. Those other talk show hosts, they want to charge you for accessing their sites. Ours is free at freetalklive.com. And if you like the fact that we give you all the features there for free, and by the way, it is a totally brand new redesigned website. Uh, if you have not yet been there, go and uh, make sure you take a look and get signed up because it is way more interactive. The listeners are now in charge of the content of the site, and you'll see what I mean. Head over to freetalklive.com. But if you support the show and uh, you want to financially support this program, there are ways you can do that. Um, one way is to uh, become an advertiser. Obviously, that'd be great. You can get in touch with Mark if you want to do that at mark at freetalklive.com. The Free Talk Live AMP program is also another great way for listeners uh, who don't have something to advertise to get behind the program for as little as three bucks a month. We take that money in and reinvest it into the show so we can get on more radio stations across the country and bring more uh, internet uh, listeners on board as well. So exposing new people to the ideas of freedom. Head over to amp.freetalklive.com to get signed up for that. You'll get access to perks like the amp-only call-in lines, amp-only forum, and more. All the details are at amp.freetalklive.com. So, Luther, tell me uh, about what happened in San Francisco recently. Well, uh, or nearby San Francisco. Yeah, to be more specific, it was in Livermore, California, uh, which is in the Bay Area. Hopefully they can sing better than that in Livermore. <laughs> hey, man, I do all right at the karaoke thing. Oh, he it's, did. It's amazing. Um, you really do well at karaoke. Yeah, I was surprised. Anyway, to get back to this, <laughs> uh, 
Walter Stanley was in the middle of telling ABC News crew about his public effort to exercise his legal right to openly carry an unloaded gun when Livermore police came a-calling. Put your hands on your head for me, please, Officer Fuller shouted to Stanley. With that, Stanley raised his heads to, hands to his head and faced a wall, while Fuller and another officer examined the 9mm pistol he had holstered at his side. Down the block, a third Livermore officer with, with a drawn rifle served as backup while a fourth <laughs> drove by in a cruiser. And they, ha- they have the, uh, the video here on this website, um, and I'll put it up on the BBS later. Okay, but, great. Um, and it's great. It really it is, is so great. funny. I saw some of it during, uh, during one of the breaks. When I heard the story about the guy down the street with the rifle, I didn't really think about exactly how he would be positioning himself. No, he was kind of peering behind around the corner of the building, you know, (laughs) looking real shifty. Like, this is so funny for us because, I mean, we're here doing this show out out of New Hampshire. And around these parts, nobody <laughs> really much cares. Right, if you, open uh, carry's yeah, legal. Unless you're from Mass. And, <laughs> and, it, 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 and people do it all the time, and it's no no big deal. And and funny, we don't have shootouts in the middle of the street. But uh, you know, these guys, where it's legal to open carry, as long as you don't have bullets in the gun yeah. in California, <laughs> I, I, you know, one one would think if it's legal, that means that you shouldn't be molested by the cops, and there shouldn't be a SWAT team called well, in now or to be, something close to, to it. To be fair, uh, it. There have been problems with some of the activists who've been doing open carry here in New Hampshire in the Manchester region of the state. They have been harassed by the police there. Not to this extent, not to where they've got four cop cars and one guy down the street with an M16 uh, aimed in your general direction. It's usually just a, a cop or two that'll come and harass people. But still, nonetheless, it's they're, they're harassing people here in New Hampshire over it, uh, or at least in parts of New Hampshire. Around here, though, in uh, Keene, where we do this show... Cops do not care. Uh, that this is something that I mean, if standing we, orders not to. Yeah. Right. We we've had our issues with uh, with the police and enforcing uh, bad laws. That's for sure. I mean, they're they're arresting people for uh, marijuana and things like that. Uh, but the other last year, when Jesse, one of the activists here, did his illegal gardening event, he brought a, a long rifle out with him while he was doing that. He was arrested not for having a rifle, but for tilling the land in uh, central square so we have our set of problems but open carry is is not one of them in fact they just left the the rifle there by the tree they asked me because i was there if i could take it uh, take it with me yeah. So I mean, they didn't even want to take the rifle because I don't know. Very, very, very good about uh, <laughs> yeah. you know, gun yeah, rights. Yeah, you here, see, here you see it Keene. a lot more in the cities though, where people will get upset about it. Like I was in Nashua. Because that's right next to Massachusetts, oh, right? Uh, yeah. You know, but the it, hilarious it, part of this is, is they send, send guys that are open-carrying weapons out to take care of a man that's open-carrying a weapon. Well, I heard this one lady, and she actually she worked for the, the state. She was a prosecutor in Nashua, and she admitted, she said right out loud that uh, people shouldn't have guns unless they is for hunting, <laughs> that only the cops should have guns. And I, I kind of wanted to butt it in and say, yeah, that worked so well for England, you know. Uh, <laughs> but you were working at the yeah, time. Yeah, I was working. It worked I so be well nice. for Nazi Germany. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> so, All right. Okay, let's continue. Okay. Um, we had some citizens call in, one of officer told Stanley before they returned his gun and sent him on his way. We don't know if, if you showed up with a loaded gun or not a loaded gun, so we're going to come and check that, said Officer Fuller. <laughs> I think that was a bit much, Stanley later told ABC. I don't think putting me up against the wall and putting my hands over the top of my head was really the type of enforcement we're looking for here in the city of Livermore. 
Tuesday's scene in downtown Livermore was just the latest twist for Stanley and a group of Bay Area open carry as loosely organized band of gun owners who uh, staged a demonstration Saturday at a local coffee shop to publicize the fact that in most California, most of California, it is legal to carry a weapon as long as it's out in the open and unloaded. The gun carrier also <laughs> has to be at least 1,000 feet from the school. So you can have a gun, just has to be unloaded. And you can't go near a school. Yes. And why is it that you can't go near a school with an unloaded weapon? Because of the children. But what's it have to do with anything? It's just a you know another fear it's thing. Asinine yeah. is all it Absolutely. is. Absolutely. As he pointed out, he had ammo on him, right? It was just on the other side of his holster or yep. on the other side of his belt. Here's the reason. Because they want to teach kids that guns are bad. And if you have somebody coming around them that has a gun and it's not jumping up and killing people. They're not a bad guy. Then yeah. they're not a bad guy. And yeah. that's the that's the whole reason. <laughs> and it, it says actually right here uh, after it, uh, Stanley carries his unloaded pistol on his right hip and two full ammunition clips on his left hip. So that's still not bad. I mean, he can always just quickly grab the clip, pop it in if he needs to. That mm. takes a second. And on on his but, uh, gravestone, they can write he had a full clip on his hip. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so wow. Uh, Oh, yeah. but I think this is great, though, uh, and I wonder uh, if these guys were at all inspired by the activism that goes on here in New Hampshire, because what we've seen happening recently, and if, in all places in California, yeah, the- is some, some kind of uh, duplicate activism, which I think is fantastic. I mean, obviously, I think that activism goes further when you've got people to back you up. In this case, it's apparently a group of people that does this, so that's I think that's great. Uh, we see we saw recently that uh, Wes Bertrand from CompleteLiberty.com, the uh, which is an excellent Liberty podcast. He and some of his uh, uh, friends and associates have been going to various different government bureaucracies with video cameras and asking them questions about morality and uh, the nature of the system and taxes and things like that. One guy refused to pay, or one guy uh, paid property taxes in one dollar bills, which he said was inspired by something that I did here in Keene. And the New Hampshire activists have been relatively well publicized for their open carry events, especially the ones where they get harassed, uh, which has been happening out in uh, in Manchester. Videos have been coming out of New Hampshire for a couple of years now, and I think it's very interesting. that I hope we get some competition up. from California. I hope California gets fast-tracked to liberty. They honestly have a pretty good constitution for keeping the growth of government down, but it hasn't worked. Yeah. <laughs> it's not even come close to work. They have a... It's, it, it, it's part of their constitution and very difficult to change their constitution. Part of their constitution is that they have to have a balanced budget every year. Okay. Well, and it's a big deal. They don't, you know, they don't do that in other states. So, I mean, uh. that in of itself is an amazing thing because, um, you know, I, apparently they have to get three quarters of the people to vote on. I don't know. I don't know the whole thing. But as I as I've heard it, California has a pretty good constitution for keeping the growth of government down. But so to, so to some working. extent, this is something that we want to see happening. Right. Is that yeah. uh, New Hampshire will be the uh, essentially the, the the way to set examples for yeah. the rest of okay. the country of, as to uh, how to do activism. A beacon of hope. Yeah, that's great news. Is there more for, uh, to the story? Well, it goes on to have a couple quotes, and uh, there's some good ones uh, okay. from locals. I think it's kind of archaic, Livermore resident Grant uh, Balfour told ABC. He and a friend sat on a nearby bench watching while the other officers frisked Stanley. I don't see any Indians and cowboys running up and down the street. I think it's time we grow up. Right, because uh, children use guns. That's the uh, the suggestion there is that only people who are not grown-ups would be interested in carrying a firearm in california 
where in, the it, crime rate out is op- out in the open. Because yeah. really, that's what the issue is: is carrying it out in the open. If this guy had a gun and it was loaded and it was stuck into a shoulder holster under a jacket, no one would have ever known. <laughs> yeah, but they'd still call him childish, right? Don't you think? If he uh, still... who knows what they people call, yeah. come up with all kinds of names for people that are, that are out there armed and ready to protect themselves and other people. Let me yeah. with another quote, Luther. Um, I think that you're asking for trouble if you walk around with an exposed weapon on your hip, said Yvonne Douglas. Are the cops asking for trouble? (laughs) (laughs) This is the thing I just don't get. How come it's okay for these guys in funny suits with weird hats and badges? Oh, because they're here to protect us, Mark. But who said that? (laughs) What's the evidence of that? Where is the evidence that anybody who's been open carrying around here has gotten trouble from anyone except for the men with badges? In fact, one actually helped uh, JJ when uh, there was that robbery downtown. Yeah, he wasn't open carrying. He he had his uh, He was concealed. He concealed carry, but he's, you know... Citizens with guns stop all kinds of crime, probably as much crime as cops stop. Hour two's coming up. You take control of the airwaves. It's Free Talk Live. How long can you hold your breath? (sighs) Not long. After air, water is the most critical factor for life. There are dozens of toxic substances in tap water, even pharmaceutical drugs that city processing can't remove. Sadly, most bottled water isn't much better. The chemicals in the bottles themselves are a serious health concern and a huge environmental problem. Filtering your own drinking water is the logical answer. You'll have a much better quality of water and save a bunch of money, too. Aquasana filters are thorough and more affordable per gallon than even pitcher-type filters. Aquasana is consistently voted the best choice by Consumers Digest. The filters are easy to use and install. Call 866-NO-BOTTLE to order or link online through freetalklive.com. If you'd like a 20% discount, and who wouldn't, when ordering online, use the discount code FTL. Again, that's FTL. Or call toll-free 866-NO-BOTTLE and tell them we sent you to get a great discount on all Aquasana products. Drink smart. 1-866-NO-BOTTLE. This is Free Talk Live, and you can take control of the airwaves. We launch here into the second hour of the program. Dial in toll-free at 800-259-9231. That's the SACL CAI toll-free line. Tonight, it's Ian with you. And Luther. And Mark. And you can join us on our website at freetalklive.com. We give you the features for free, so enjoy those on us. Again, freetalklive.com. We'll start things out here with... A bit of a different kind of story. Mark, we know, those of us who've been listening for a while, know that you are uh, a bit of an obsessive when it comes to Bigfoot things. I find it all pretty silly myself, uh, but you're not the only Bigfoot fan out there, right? I, you know, I, I, I like the whole cryptozoology thing. And Do you have any Bigfoot uh, statues or action figures or anything like that? <laughs> nope, nope. No? Okay, so you're not that Never big seen fan. Bigfoot, Bigfoot, nothing like that. You I never just, went on a hunt, you went out camping with hopes to, to, how about, to spot him? How about the skunk ape when you were down in Florida? Ever run into that? It's the same thing, right? Uh, I've heard it looks more like Gollum than a big monkey. It's a, it's the southern it's a southern yeah, version yeah. of the, of the uh, you know, the North American primate. Are there alleged to be North also... North American great ape. Are there, what, what, now, are there no, like really northern versions that are kind of... Uh, is it Sasquatch? Uh, the Sasquatch would be? would be like the Canadian version, Yeti, yeah. sort of the Himalayan version. So there are some that are alleged to have white hair, for instance, uh, that I, are people, up north. People have depicted them in different, different fashions. Got it. Let me tell you the story here. This is from... This is local, right? Yeah, too, this is from... I, you know, I hate to use a local story, but this is it's the best one out there. Uh, Summit Stunt. Bigfoot cries, free speech foul. 
In early fall, Keene resident Jonathan C. Doyle had a spontaneous idea. Dress as Bigfoot and appear at the top of the summit of Mount Monadnock. Now, Mount Monadnock is the local attraction here. It is the, um, the the most climbed mountain in the Western Hemisphere, only outdone in the world by Mount Fuji. So this is a very climbed mountain, and you know, young and old can pretty much handle this one. Yeah. And uh, a lot of people climb it, so he surprised some 80 hikers. Now, I think this is a little... Uh, childish of him to play you know like to, to be t- too prankish about this um, uh-huh. but, but uh, you know, what did he do well he like surprised hiding? he su- surprised 80 hikers and then shot a video interviews with them and posted the clip on youtube and i think that it could be that this could be done improperly um but it doesn't i have no fine. evidence evidence that he actually did it improperly you understand yeah i mean it, it would be wrong if he attacked the uh, the other hikers right. but if he just Right, but if he just jumps out of the woods and jumps around a bit, then who cares? Then it's just silly. So it was meant to be an absurdist idea, but it is a, oh, excuse me, a couple of weeks later he took an even uh, further with a performance art piece acted on the mountain featuring not only the legendary Sasquatch, but a pirate, a Yoda-esque <laughs> character, and some singing and dancing. It was meant to be an absurdist idea, but has evolved into something a bit more solemn, an accusation about the violation of the First Amendment. Doyle, an artist and videographer who runs his own online company called NYC Creator, has filed a complaint with the NH Civil Liberties Union Foundation alleging that his free speech rights were trampled on during the second Bigfoot appearance. During the performance, a group of six – now, there's no evidence at all that the second performance was in any way – you know, like the first one, I can see how somebody might get upset with seeing a giant Chewbacca um, (laughs) climbing the mountain. However, when when Chewbacca's with a pirate and a giant Yoda and they're singing and dancing – like that's just that's just you know silly. Well, it's silly, but it's it's funny. You know, <laughs> yeah. it's it's whatever. It's performance art. There's no doubt it's performance art. Whatever that is. Um, you know, I I can't say that I'm a the biggest art aficionado out there. But <laughs> look, man, if you want a giant dress in a giant Yoda um, outfit and sing and dance on Mount Monadnock, God bless you. It's a free country. Um, uh, anyway, during the performance, not really. Yeah, <laughs> a group of six, including <laughs> Doyle, we'll would, was filming, were acting out their parts while hiking up the mountain. Doyle said his group was on a lesser-used trail and wasn't bothering any of the park attendees. If we had sensed that we were creating a real disturbance, I think we would have changed our ways. He said the performance ended about halfway up the mountain. However, Doyle and crew were stopped by a park ranger and told to leave because they did not have a permit to perform at the park. <laughs> New Hampshire law states that a special issue permit uh, is a special use permit is required at state parks when people hold organized or special events which go beyond routine recreational activities. Though the NH Civil Liberties Foundation. So if you're not hiking or doing some other. You're, you're allowed to thing, hike here on the hiking trail. You're not allowed to dance on the hiking trail. And you're certainly not allowed to bring a video camera to, uh, to, to show evidence that you were there dancing. Now, I've been up the mountain and I've never seen a no dancing sign. No, there is no da- no, no, no dancing well, sign. Well, Luther, didn't you take the time before you moved here to New Hampshire to read all of the various different laws? You know, I meant to get around to it and still... You are obligated to it, know it, and understand <laughs> all of their rules. It's on my reader board on my fridge. I yeah. promise I'll get around to it. I mean, that's just it, right? They they can't post all of their rules because there are so many of them. It's impossible to know what all their rules are. Right, and and this is the 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 sort of, you know, the difference between private property and public property um, is that 
basically you, yeah. I, and every resident of the state of New Hampshire, and one might claim the you know United States or even the world, uh, have a right to climb Mount Monadnock because it is publicly owned. Because it's unowned, because there's nobody who's actually responsible for it. The state claims responsibility for it, but uh, it doesn't have real true ownership in the same way that a thief that steals your bicycle or your car uh, does not have true ownership. He only has possession of it. Well, um, even if you claim that it's public property, which is what they're going to claim, one would claim that everybody has the right to use it um, to, to some level or another. Now, if it were private property, if I own Mount Monadnock, I can make a rule up right on the spot that says no singing and dancing in a giant Yoda outfit because (laughs) it's my house. I have a house. I don't have that rule, but I might very well enact that rule if that's what I feel like doing. And there wouldn't be any problem with that because it's mine. But this isn't how it is with public property. The idea with public property is it belongs to the public. So is this uh, this guy going to be a good little citizen and stop doing his performance art? Well, he's going through the um, uh, NHLCU or whatever. He's looking into suing. Yeah, and he's, uh, he's, he's arguing that the expulsion violated his First Amendment rights by curbing free speech in a public forum. On December the 14th, a letter to George Bald, commissioner of the New Hampshire's Department of Resources and Economic Development, which includes the Park Department Foundation um, State uh, Staff Attorney Barbara R. Keshen or whatever, says the special permit is vague and giving unchecked discretion to the park direct- director. So, you know, they're going through the legal system here. and Yeah. Yeah. Well, if it was one of our uh, activists, the uh, the Liberty activists up here, they would have gone up, done the performance, they would have announced it in advance. So the Probably Rangers practiced a famous number, like uh, you know something from "Singing in the Rain," maybe, mm-hmm. and had a whole group go. They would have announced it in advance, so the Rangers would have well known where and when it would be, and uh, then essentially called them out onto the carpet and given them the opportunity to. I guess what would they likely would do would cite them. They'd likely write up a citation and, and give them a court date if they even showed up to uh, to enforce this rule. Yeah. And in that case, then it would be very interesting to see how many days in jail someone would have to spend for dancing in a Bigfoot suit on the mountain in front of a camera. Because <laughs> that's what it would come down to. If, yeah. if this were one of the liberty activists, in this case, it's just a local, uh, you know, he was fairly young, wasn't he? Like just out of college or something? Yeah, he's a young guy. Yeah, just a local young person with an idea, which is great. I mean, uh, yeah. I, I hope he I, has success. I did something like this down in Florida, actually. We, uh, they, if you go to bookstores, you usually find the books, you know, uh, haunted Florida or haunted sure. New Hampshire, you know. Yep. And uh, one told the story that was actually in the town I lived in uh, about a you know a terrible murder that went down in this park. And so we went there and we shot a horror movie based on it. And a uh, park ranger actually came up to us, really stopped us, questioned us, and like he seemed confused by what we were doing. And 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 he he was always also upset over it. He's like, oh, you know, it's just a myth. It never really happened here. And <laughs> we're like, well, yeah, we didn't think it did, you know. And our movie was ridiculous. I mean, the killer was dancing and stuff. So it was. So just, were you told you couldn't do it's that? Something? No. Well, no. I managed to talk him into just leaving us alone and uh, letting us finish. It our would movie. have been really something if you could talk him into singing and dancing. <laughs> <laughs> Get him a walk-on part. It's <laughs> great. Yeah. Well, so it's something that young young people do. I mean, I was. Yeah, I'm still young, actually. So yeah. Well, you know, and, and things are – I remember we did it in school. I mean, this was on Super 8 or something. I mean, some you – know, one of the old formats. I don't remember. Hi 8? What was the – Super I, 8. One of the old yeah. formats. Uh, my friend, you know, put together – we did a little, you know, sort of Dungeons & Dragons movie out in the woods. And, uh, you know, this it's not uncommon. Nope. 
Toll-free number here is 800-259-9231. That's the SACL CAI toll-free line. You can bring up whatever's on your mind. There's uh, some rumblings out there about a alleged food crisis. I don't know about you, but I'm not so scared. We'll talk about it coming up here in moments. This Your Family Today tip is brought to you by Nestle Toll House Morsels. There are a million reasons to bake with Toll House. Find yours at VeryBestBaking.com. A balanced diet is important, but so is the occasional treat. Working with your kids to bake a dessert from scratch helps them to appreciate it even more, and it keeps them from resenting having to eat their veggies every other day. Plus, baking is a perfect excuse to spend time with your kids, since just being together is a treat. For more tips like these, visit us at Parenthood.com slash YourFamilyToday. This is Free Talk Live. You are invited to take control of the airwaves toll-free at 800-259-9231. That's the SACL CAI toll-free line. Tonight, it's Ian with you. And Luther. And Mark. And you can join us online at freetalklive.com. The features are completely free, so enjoy those on us. And those features include our Facebook profile. You can go and become a fan for free at facebook.freetalklive.com. That's facebook.freetalklive.com. Critical thinking question. Why would something that's so good for for us, like public education, need to be imposed on us with the use of force and funded by the use of force? Maybe something else is going on. School Sucks Podcast is a show about the end of public education. Visit SchoolSucksProject.com to learn more. SchoolSucksProject.com. All right, so there's some scary stories out there floating around about how there may very well be a food crisis coming soon to America, and I'm going to share one of them here and just like to get your your guys' thoughts, and of course you, the listener as well, welcome to call in, tell me what you think. I think this is a little overblown personally, but 800-259-9231. Then again, I may not be apprised of all the facts. So Michael Hampton is reporting over at HomelandStupidity.us. He writes that you have maybe two months to stock up on the necessities of life before food prices rise dramatically, potentially prompting a food panic widespread famine, and quite possibly the long-expected collapse of the U.S. economy. Farmers across... That sounds pretty dire. Yeah, that's about as dire a prediction as you can make. Farmers across America and many other parts of the world are calling 2009 the worst harvest they've ever seen in their lives, owing largely to extended bouts of bad weather. At the same time, the U.S. Department of Agriculture is officially forecasting bumper crops, while close to three-fourths of the country's farmland is in areas declared eligible for federal disaster assistance due to failed crops. A popular farmer's website is chock-full of stories of entire crops of soybeans rejected for moisture damage, long delays in harvesting corn only to find out the corn is moldy, damaged, or too light to be used as animal feed or even ethanol. And farmers unsure if they'll even have a farm for another year. If you were year. hungry and starving, would you pay uh, for uh, you know some, some below standard food? Yes. Yeah. yeah. In fact, I've done it. Yep. Uh, so if farmers unsure, are unsure if they'll even have a farm for another year due to the losses they've taken in 2009. Most agricultural products are purchased in futures, which are promises to deliver a quantity of of a commodity at a future date. Futures carry many risks, prominent among them the possibility that the commodity simply won't be available at the promised delivery date. While futures prices are set by the market, some of the information used to set the prices comes from the USDA's World Agricultural Supply and Demand Estimates reports. The unrealistic 2009 bumper crop predictions in its recent reports, which may have seemed reasonable months ago before 2009's long string of bad weather, 
but which USDA has failed to revise, drove futures prices artificially low. But grain futures prices have already risen well above the USDA's latest projections as the corn harvest threatens to drag into March in some areas of the country thanks to an unusually wet 2009 and an unprecedented fall flooding in the Midwest. The good news is that even with 2009 being the worst harvest in human history, there will still be plenty of food in the U.S. to feed everyone in the U.S. The bad news, if you're in the U.S., is that the food won't be used to feed everyone in the U.S. Did I read that right? There will There's still... plenty of food to feed everyone in the U.S., but it won't be used for that. So Ah, it seems China has finally figured out what to do with all the U.S. dollars it's holding. You'll recall the Federal Reserve took some pretty extreme measures over the last two years, ostensibly to save the U.S. economy. In fact, those measures have set us up the bomb. For decades, China has been buying U.S. debt and financing Americans' credit addiction, as well as the government's massive spending on millions of projects it has no business being involved in. But it seems they've had enough of the dollar and are about to pull the plug. In the meantime, China has been using those dollars to buy every morsel of American food it can get its hands on. Combined with 2009's bad weather and the USDA's ridiculous numbers, this prompted a late August soybean shortage, which is expected to continue through 2010. The U.S. has very good reason to fudge numbers on crop estimates. If it published realistic numbers and crop futures prices rose sharply, three things would likely happen. Wall Street would take massive losses. Inflation fears would cause investors to dump bonds, frustrating the government's attempts to finance its incredible expending, expanding debt. And most importantly, China, whose currency is tied closely to the U.S. dollar, would allow it to appreciate. That alone would likely send the U.S. dollar into freefall, and all three would mean utter economic collapse. Of course, you can't fool the market for long. As noted above, futures prices are already well above the USDA's numbers. All they really managed to do with their numbers game was to buy the U.S. dollar another year of life. One market analyst believes the 2010 food shortage will be the catalyst, which not only brings about the collapse of the U.S. economy, but takes down Great Britain and Japan with it. And that uh, is Market Skeptics, uh, which is some, I guess, skeptical website. Anyway, it says here, they, their quote is, While a food crisis was unavoidable to some extent because of the abnormal weather and financial crisis, the total panic, which will soon grip world agricultural markets, is a creation of the USDA and its fictitious production estimates. If not for the USDA's interference, food prices would have risen in the first half of 20, uh, 2009 in anticipation of the shortage. The USDA has caused incalculable damage to the world economy by encouraging overconsumption of rapidly diminishing food supplies. Once the 2010 food crisis starts, confidence in the U.S. government will be shattered as a result of the USDA's faulty estimates. The starvation and misery caused by higher food prices will also create a lot of anger. Now, back to uh, Hampton over at Homeland Stupidity. He says that in this scenario, rural banks will begin failing rapidly, especially in the Midwest, and the inevitable bailouts will drive up U.S. debt further. These bailouts, combined with the Chinese allowing the yuan to appreciate, will erode confidence in the U.S. dollar to the point that foreign banks and investors begin dumping U.S. debt at fire sale prices. And this has been a scare that has been kind of told for the past several years, and it has Oh, decades. Really, yeah. this, the same thing, uh, you know, the same story and different iterations has been told for decades upon decades, ever since the... The uh, U.S. took basically, um, you know, the last vestiges of uh, of metal back uh, backing away from the currency. And, you know, it may very well have been happening before that. I just don't have any evidence of it. At that point, he says the Federal Reserve will have no choice but to print money, leading directly to hyperinflation. 
I shouldn't have to tell you what hyperinflation will look like, but in case you need a reminder, it will likely make the Great Depression look like a minor recession. Tens of millions of people who've never known want in their entire lives are going to be shocked to wake up broke and hungry with no idea what happened or why it happened to them. The government will almost certainly be unable to fulfill its promises of food stamps, social security, and other such welfare programs. Food riots are likely, and people will almost certainly die when the government attempts to put them down. Worst of all, almost nobody will assign blame where it truly belongs, central banks and fiat currency. Market skeptics and other foreign investors that uh, he's seen quoted widely in foreign media but virtually never in the U.S. recommend investing in agriculture except derivatives and in precious metals. I also recommend you invest in as much non-perishable food as you can lay hands on in the next two months, at least a year's supply if you can manage it. And if there's no collapse, you can eat it. And if there is, you'll at least have something to eat. So I, I think he's overreacting a little bit here, well, and, and I like Michael Hampton. He's a, he's a he's a friend of mine. He's one of the technical guys behind the behind the show here, and I think he's been bitten by the uh, the preparation bug. And you think that uh, that he's overreacting? I, or? I, I I can't see. I you know everybody's got their evidence, right? But all this is going to do is drive up the cost of food. And in the United States, we pay more for food than any other country pays for food. And I don't see people that are that sell food um, saying, oh, yeah, we're going to not sell it to the people that pay more for it than the other people. Um, I, 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 as all I see is the possibility is, is that the price of food goes up, not that there's actual food shortages. And that being said, it's not a bad idea to have uh, you know some canned food stored up. Let's come back and uh, discuss a little further. Your thoughts are requested at 800-259-9231. Are you preparing or are you thinking, eh, this is overblown? It's Free Talk Live. DVD, books, music, instruments, periodicals, computers, software, electronic, photo, cell phone, office product, home and garden, bed and bath, furniture, kitchen, pet supply, automotive, hardware, apparel, shoes, jewelry, grocery, healthcare, sports and outdoors, toys, games, used and more. It's a department store at your fingertips. Amazon.freetalklive.com. Get all your shopping done, a great deal, delivery to your door, and a percentage of your purchase will go to Free Talk Live when you enter Amazon through Amazon.freetalklive.com. This is Free Talk Live. You are invited to take control of the airwaves via the toll-free number at 800-259-9231. That's the SACL CAI toll-free line. 1-800-259-9231. Tonight, it's Ian with you. And Luther. And Mark. And you can join us on our website at freetalklive.com. All the features are completely free, so enjoy those on us. And those features include live streams. We've got a broadband version of the show, dial-up version, webcam, Listen lines, there's several different ways for you to tune in over at listen.freetalklive.com. That is listen.freetalklive.com. Do you hate having to make extra trips to carry in the groceries? For the last few months at my house, we've been using the Tota Sack. They're a handle made of 100% recycled materials. It's polymer made right here in the U.S., and it's designed to simplify all kinds of carrying tasks. Go to, go, go to totasack.com. That's T-O-T-A-S-A-K dot com. And you can buy a family pack there today. It's Totasac. They carry more than you can. A lot more. Totasac dot com. Okay. We're talking about a scary story that was posted over at HomelandStupidity.us, which, by the way, I consider to be a great website. Uh, Michael Hampton is is a friend of mine, and he's uh, one of the behind-the-scenes guys on the technical side of the show. But 
That doesn't mean I'm not going to call him onto the carpet on this one. I think that he has fallen victim to uh, some fear-mongering and has... Uh, in, in, and has gone ahead and engaged in some of it himself. Uh, we just shared with you a story where he's predicting some dire circumstances for this country as far as a, a food crisis, uh, what he calls here a food panic, widespread famine, and then the long-expected collapse of the U.S. economy. Now, is there a chance that uh, the, the U.S. economy could uh, go into a tailspin and collapse? Yeah, is there a chance there could be hyperinflation? Sure. Uh, and will there be problems as a result of things like that happening? You better believe it. Absolutely. But just looking at the food uh, issue here for a moment, if there is a food shortage, if there really is a food shortage, like that, whatever these economic circumstances are that he was talking about result in people not producing enough, uh, the, the alleged bad weather of 2009, the farmers claiming that they had a terrible year, all of these these different things that he brought together in his story. If it's true there really is a food shortage in America, it doesn't mean that we're going to run out of food, right? I mean, a shortage is just a shortage in that there's a lot of canned food out there in America, and oh, does this mean that Americans won't get their fresh lettuce and tomatoes? I mean, if, if this is what happens, right, doesn't it mean – doesn't it pretty much mean – I'll have that fresh America's tomatoes. It eat... doesn't take that long to grow a tomato plant. But do no. you know what I'm saying? Is Doesn't that just mean basically that Americans – because most people are in, you know, living in – a lot of people are living in cities, and it's not real easy to grow very much there. Uh, but doesn't that pretty much mean that Americans might have to eat some canned food for once? Do, do you really think that people are going to starve in America – it seems Not pretty. Many. Yeah, it, starvation in America seems pretty ludicrous. Yeah. I think that it can drive. If you know, a, a, a dip in supply will mean an increase. Um, a, and and you know, obviously, people are going to continue to want to eat food, so there's going to going to be an increase in price. So demand will stay stay constant. So there will be an increase in price. Yes, but, I can see that happening. I mean, that prices in the food sector have been increasing over time anyway, just as uh, as the Federal Reserve inflates the money supply. And I think if it did get tight around food, that in the same way that Americans learned something from this bank uh you know crisis that that they had where the and in november the uh credit card debt reached its lowest point um in america and you know forever in a long time so So they're paying off their debt yeah americans are paying off uh floating credit card debt they they understand they've learned some lessons from uh things that have happened i think that they'll they'll learn lessons if uh if a food uh shortage occurs I think that people will will be pulled together in their communities. I think they'll help their friends and neighbors. I think that it'll. I think it'd be. You know, I think it'd be great, uh, quite honestly. But I'm not worried about it. Yeah, I, I'm not worried about it at all either. Of course, you and I have some food stocked up. I, I don't have that much. Maybe like a couple weeks worth. A couple of weeks is a couple of weeks more than most people have stocked up. Okay, that that much is true. Uh, but again, I don't really have that because I'm particularly concerned about a food shortage. I just have it because sometimes it gets real cold up here, and uh, you know, if if people get snowed into their houses, I don't know when that happens in New Hampshire. It certainly hasn't happened in the three years I've been here. But you know, kind of a more a w- emergency weather uh, situation than uh, than anything else. For well, for even me. if there if there is a food shortage, Ian, and the prices go up, would you prefer to eat the the uh, the canned potatoes that you paid fifty nine cents for, or the canned potatoes that you're going to pay two dollars and fifty nine cents yeah. for? No, I see what you're saying. I see what you're saying. It's good. It's a good idea. The the Mormons do this as a practice, uh, sort of amongst their religion, yeah. and I think it's a great idea to have a little bit of food stored up. So, Luther, are you scared? I mean, I just read all these scary uh, details here. Uh, honestly, no, not really. Um, Is it possible you're just in denial? <laughs> no, 
there's plenty of land out where I live. I could always grow my own vegetables. Uh, there are wild animals in the woods around my house. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I'm really just not not worried. Uh, Can always eat the cat. Yeah. Here, it yeah. tastes just like chicken. Yeah, it, it doesn't really uh, – like I was saying, the, there's a lot of food out there. Americans are the, what, most obese people in the world, uh, yeah. most overweight people in the world. One thing's for sure, Americans are very well fed, and it's not going to hurt them that bad to uh, you know, to, to cut back on the amount that they might be taking in. And like you're saying, Mark, they may adjust their finances to the point where they're being a little more cautious. Cut their cell phone fine. out, stop their thrifty. cable bill. Throw right. less out, right? You know, so be the, less wasteful, right? I remember when I was working at Kmart uh, back when I was a teenager, there would be people who would buy flats and flats of cola. You know, they would just come in <laughs> with a whole cartload of various different soda pop. So if a food shortage uh, comes around, well, okay, are some companies maybe going to go out of business? Yeah, economic circumstances may make it so that some food providers that are on the fringes may, you know, fall off. But and but people will adjust their habits. People will buy Malta meal instead of buying the box cereal brands. They'll save a few bucks yep. there. Uh, you know, another thing is is uh, Thanksgiving just went by, and I was at a house and where they you know they they had the turkey and everything. They threw out the carcass. Um, my wife at our house, we had made one a couple of like a week and a half before that or something like that. She made a you know, delicious turkey soup with this this carcass. Yeah. Um, you know, so great it, for stock. I mean, it it absolutely is. Our forefathers ate everything. You know, the the grease that came off of the animal was then used for food. I mean, they yeah. used yeah. every single part was was food and um you know opportunity for less waste. Yeah, I I, I try to when I go shopping, I try to eat buy only what I know I can eat. I do a lot of leftovers. Uh, I bring a lot to lunch with me, you know. I try to really just make my food last. Um Especially since I'm a little pressed for money these days. Sure. You know, everybody is. Oh, yeah. And that I can see happening. I can see that obviously things are not as good uh, as they could be in this country. And as long as the government's in charge, they could get much worse. Uh, So there's no doubt that economic circumstances could uh, get tighter, that food prices could go up. But I don't see anybody. It seems very unlikely to me that in, in this country, with the marketplace as free as it is, is going to have any kind of starvation or famine situation. Now, there is one circumstance that I could see happening that would result in starvation in America, and that is... If If the the government government takes over food distribution. (laughs) Or production. Oh, yeah. Now, what happens if it gets tight and the government decides um, your little... Your little farm needs to be confiscated and the government's going to take it over and all that kind of stuff. I mean, yeah, that's going to be awful. That's going to be awful. Any involvement of the government in the food distribution uh, or sales chain in that industry could cause severe problems. So I haven't seen proposals about that. It seems unlikely that something like that would happen here uh, in America, but you know, when, right anything after 9, can happen. Right after 9-11, they trotted out the Patriot Act. It was uh, yeah. a thousand pages long. You know, they had written that thing significantly before um, they, you know, they trotted it out. Right. And I'm sure they have some kind of plan out there that uh, has to do with confiscating farms from people. Yeah, I wouldn't write it off. I wouldn't write it off entirely, but it it would be a tremendous mistake and that would be the only thing in my mind that could lead to any kind of a famine situation where people are actually starving and and dying as a result of of a food situation. 
So that's how I yeah, feel about yeah. it. People are, are smart animals, human beings, really smart animals. If uh, we get in a bind, we, there's ways to figure it out, how, how to get Absolutely. past it. Absolutely. Stealing. <laughs> well, uh, I'm not advocating that. No. Told I'm just for, saying that that's, that's a, a, if people do get in a bind, it's going to be the first thing they think about. The toll-free number is 800-259-9231. They won't be thinking about it too much here in New Hampshire, where uh, people pretty much have the right to bear arms. Oh, they'll uh, use the government to steal for them. Oh, I see what I mean. mean. Okay. okay. More coming up. You can bring up anything. Take control of the airwaves. This is Free Talk Live. This is Free Talk Live. You are invited to take control of the airwaves toll-free at 800-259-9231. That's the SACL CAI toll-free line tonight. It's Ian with you. And Luther. And Mark. And you can join us online at freetalklive.com. We give you the features on the site free, and we ask that you voluntarily support the show by shopping over at amazon.freetalklive.com. Just enter Amazon through that link, and Free Talk Live will get a percentage of your purchase. So uh, start your shopping. You can shop in dozens of categories. You can even buy used items, whatever it is you buy, through amazon.freetalklive.com. Free Talk Live will get a cut to the phones and the fun. Frank is in New York. You're on Free Talk Live. Hello, Frank. Ah, good evening, gentlemen. It's cold as can be. One thing I wanted to raise, a point that no one has mentioned, is the fact that in the market system with commodities, foods are purchased in futures contracts. As a result, China has put a lot of their money into future contracts regarding American food production for the next 20 years. If there would be a food shortage or, let's say, a famine, uh, the food that's grown on the farms by the corporations, that food will not be sent to the American consumers at the supermarket. That'll be shipped to China. And that's something that no one has mentioned. You know, the fact that in a market system, uh, the commodities uh, are an actual, you know, part of speculative capitalism. And, you know, a situation like that could hurt the American people profoundly, as well as the fact that the Codex Alimentarius will be. Um, coming into uh, effect this year. In so wait, wait, wait. Slow down a moment, Frank. So what you're saying is, and I'm not a market uh, expert on all these futures and stuff like that, so maybe that's why I'm having a tough time understanding uh, what Michael Hampton was saying over at HomelandStupidity.us. But what you're saying is that the Chinese have first claim on the food? Correct, so... because they've purchased the, the the food contracts, you know, well in advance of the food, you know, so right uh, now, harvest. What, so, so right now... You're saying a significant amount of U.S. food is actually being shipped to China? Absolutely, yes. That may very well be the case, um, Frank, but I, I, you know, I still believe in the American farmer and their abilities to. Yeah, but under Codex Alimentarius, the farmers won't be allowed to grow food themselves. It, it all is going to be inspected by an international food authority under the United Nations. Not if the there's United a food Nations. crisis. Not so if that, there's a food that crisis. That could actually throw off. You know the whole equation. Those those issues you guys haven't even dealt with. I understood. And everyone, if there is a real genuine food, worried about that. If there's a real genuine food crisis, that's the that's the time that Americans are going to say, you know, no. I'm not going to honor my, uh, you know, my, my deal with China. I am not sending food to China when people are starving here in the United well, States. Well, then the army, then the army will come out and, you know, shoot the people trying to get, you know, the food that's being shipped out of the country. It's that simple. The we Chinese don't army? It. No, no, the American Where army. Where are they going to come really... from? They're over in Iraq. Well, there are plenty in of Afghanistan. Them. There are plenty of them here in the United States as well. Really? 
You have to think this through. I mean, if you have What about the food coming in from Brazil and Chile and other places that grow uh, fruits and vegetables? Well, if there's and... an economic collapse where the dollar is uh, devalued and no one wants the dollar, we're going to have to pay them off in another currency, maybe euros or maybe, mm-hmm. you know, something else. Those are issues that uh, you have to deal with and you have to think through now, especially as our dollar is no longer the reserve currency of the world. Well, it is the reserve currency of the world. No, it isn't. Not anymore. It no longer is. Why why is it not? Because a number of nations have decided, and central banks in Europe, have decided that it is no longer the reserve currency. And our own Federal Reserve said that in October of this year. If you've been reading, you know, the pronouncements of Bernanke and the others. So in a way, you guys are not, uh, you're a couple years behind the curve on your analysis. Okay. You have to look at many more aspects. So, Frank, do you have uh, do you have a year's worth of foods? Do you have any food stocked up for uh, for this uh, supposed I really crisis? Can't. I can't because we don't have much space in New York. So I mean, what are you the most do? you can store is maybe you know a week's worth of food. So you, in so New York, do do, if there's a food shortage, uh, the supermarkets will be out. You know, people will buy everything off the shelves within two days. Mm-hmm. So if the food, let's say there's an economic collapse, uh, and the uh, people aren't going to be able to pay the drivers that bring in the food to the supermarkets, then the food isn't going to come in. It's going to get very nasty. People are going to have their neighbors over for a barbecue, but and they won't realize they'll the actually be barbecuing their neighbors. In. The government will step in and attempt to restore order. And, you know, what happens when that happens, like down in uh, New Orleans uh, a few years ago, you know, the whole system breaks apart. Yeah, it all so sounds very scary, this, Frank. You uh, have to look at this from, you know, multiple... Uh, the one thing, you know, it's, even if what you're saying is true, even if what you and uh, HomelandStupidity.us are saying is true and that all these things come to pass and that, as you're saying, the American food uh, producers owe a bunch of food to China and, oh, you know, we're sorry, Americans, we're just going to have to send this overseas or you're going to have to starve. Sorry about that. Even if all that happens... Uh, I think you're ignoring one thing, and that is the black market. That is that if and the it, fact that Americans well, have guns. Happen. That will happen anyway. I mean, I'm not ignoring that. But the point is that the black market has to be able to get, you know, products that they can uh, uh, raise the price up a few hundred percent. Well, no, no. Uh, so if they can get the food, what, no, they can get the food. Of course, they can get the food. Black market price. The reason they can get the food is because the farmers will just all of a sudden tell China, "Well, we've had a real bad crop this year," while they're selling their food to the black marketeers no, that are doing their that's, distribution. That's completely ridiculous and fallacious. Is it ridiculous? The farmers are corporate. Uh, oligopolies, and these are corporations. In fact, China actually has purchased over the last five years a significant ownership in some of these private corporations. Why that, wouldn't that China? Are, you know, the, well, if that's true, Frank, food. and I, I agree with you, there's certainly a lot of corporations that are, are operating farms. That certainly is true. But if it's true that China has purchased all these futures and all that, why wouldn't China, if they are so interested in uh, in this, why wouldn't they just go ahead and sell the food to Americans at higher prices and make because, a bunch of money? Because a lot of their farmland has been taken out of production that can be flooded or it can be made into industrial factory space. Their whole provinces in China, where this has been going on for the last 10 years, they've planned buying American future contracts for many years, as well as future contracts in Brazil, India, all over the place. I mean, these, well, you know, the Chinese government knows what to do, what they're doing, and they would not have taken their valuable farmland out of production unless they could... 
uh, you know, acquire. Why does the Chinese the food, government know elsewhere? what they're doing? Why would the Chinese government know what they're doing, whereas most governments don't have a freaking clue as to what they're doing? Because they have an authoritarian discipline that, uh, uh, you know, is very strong. They have an iron fist. Okay. Thanks, Frank, for the call. I appreciate hearing from you at 800-259-9231. So more doom and gloom from the Frank. I, the idea of a whole province being industrialized is absolute nonsense. I mean, if you take a look at uh, the the biggest, you know, the most populous states in the United States, California, New York, Texas, Florida, these are huge producers of agriculture. Yeah. I mean, these are the most populous states that we have in the Union. Plenty and these, of open space. And these are oh, smaller yeah. areas, I would guess, than the provinces in, uh, in, in China. No way. You can't do it. You can't turn a province into an industrial producer. You have to have agricultural land. Right, and his point about the corporations running these uh, farms, okay, sure, a corporation is probably more likely to be obedient than uh, the average farmer would be as far as where they send their crops to, but it's still people, exactly. It's still people, those people still have the opportunity to make a bunch of money selling stuff black market than they would, um, you know. uh, Selling to China. They're, you know, fulfilling their contracts. And then you have to take in, you sort of mix in nationalism. Yes, I do think that U.S. troops will shoot U.S. citizens if their their bosses tell them to and Correct. they believe that it's the best thing for the United States. However, I think you're going to have a tough time convincing U.S. troops to shoot U.S. citizens when their U.S. bosses tell them to because the food has to go over to China. I think that at that yeah. point, you're talking about a mutiny. And let's not forget that there there are more guns in this country than there are people. And the U.S. troops, uh, you know, unless they're in tanks, really can't do anything because they're having trouble in Afghanistan. They're going to have trouble here, too. Yeah, I, 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 I just I don't I just don't see it. I trust the marketplace can handle food distribution even in tough economic times. Is it possible that prices go up? Absolutely. But, you know, yeah. And people prices, are going to deal people with eating that. their cats and dogs. Come on. Right, so people are going to have to start buying some off-brand products, so they'll have to drink the store-brand soda instead of their name-brand soda. I mean, they these can are drink the kinds a little of, water. <laughs> these, right, water. These are the kinds of sacrifices that Americans will have to make. Eat some canned food instead of the fresh, uh, the fresh produce. My wife and, would think that her throat was cut if she had to eat canned beans. I swear. Uh, you know, not the, if she was starving. Right, right. Suddenly everything would change. But you know, <laughs> she, when she goes to the grocery store, she has a little system for snapping beans to know whether they're, whether or not they're they're the for snapping. Oh, the actual uh, fresh beans, green beans. Right. Yeah, yeah. I don't. Who don't? You know, I just all leave. of a sudden I the, just leave. Right. The, the, all of a sudden the bruised apples. I will start eating them. You know that kind of thing. Yeah. Toll-free number here, 800-259-9231. Uh, we, I mean, we have it so good, it's hard to believe, for me at least, and maybe I'm in just yeah, denial yeah, same here, maybe. that it could get so bad. More coming up. You can take control of the airwaves. The toll-free number is 800-259-9231. Hour 3 is on the way. This is Free Talk Live. Attention. 
all active duty members and veterans of the U.S. military. Your proud service to your country entitles you with the right to participate in special VA loan programs with benefits not available to the general public, like the ability to purchase a new home with no down payment or mortgage insurance, or refi with cash out up to 100% of your present home equity with less strict credit criteria. You are entitled to these benefits. Review them online at varadio.com. This is Tim Lewis from iFreedom Direct and a veteran of Operation Iraqi Freedom. I want you to know that as a member or veteran of the United States military, you've earned special rights and privileges. On your feet and get the details at varadio.com. iFreedom Direct Corporation is a private lender approved by the VA and licensed in most states. In certain states, certain restrictions and limitations apply. For a current list of licenses, disclosures, and all benefits, go to varadio.com. varadio.com. Talk Live. We're launching into the third hour of the program. You can take control of the airwaves toll-free at 800-259-9231. That's the SACL CAI toll-free line. 1-800-259-9231. Tonight, it's Ian with you. And Luther. And Mark. And you can join us on our website at freetalklive.com. We give you the features for free, so enjoy those on us. Again, that's freetalklive.com. Last hour, for those of you just tuning in, we shared a uh, alarmist story from one of my favorite websites, uh, HomelandStupidity.us. Normally, there's some really great uh, stories there. This one was pretty fear-mongering about the idea that there may be a food crisis coming soon, like within two months, uh, according to the story here in America. And they went over various different economic reasons. Uh, apparently, 2009 was a, a real bad year for farmers, weather-wise, crop shortages, things like that. Uh, there's also economic factors. As Frank was telling us from New York, he believes that uh, the, the situation is that China owns futures on food, and so therefore the food that's produced during a shortage would have to be sent to China first. And, of course, we talked about how we thought the black market would be able to, even if all these things were true and that things were really dire, that the black market would step in. I tend to believe that the marketplace can handle you know, dips and, and, and things like that fairly fairly effectively. People will have to cut back if things like this, if a shortage does occur, people will have to be a little more choosy about what they eat. They'll have to be a little smarter about what they buy. They'll have to be a little bit smarter with their money. And Mark, you were even pointing out that uh, this past year was 2009 where Americans have paid off record levels of, of debt. Yeah, well, yeah, the, the banking crisis has basically made people tighten their belt. They're eating out less. They're spending less at the grocery store. They're not buying the new cars that they don't need, except for the cash for clunkers thing, when basically the government was <laughs> giving, helping to give cars away at lower than uh, wholesale prices. Uh, you know, and and they're, you know, they're they're spending less on less wasteful stuff. So let's go to the phones and the fun to our alarmist co-host Sam. Oh, You're on Free Talk Live. <laughs> Hey, gentlemen. Hey, dude. Hey, Sam. Um, okay, well, yeah, so I heard the story, and I heard what uh, Frank said, and I would tend to agree with it, with uh, some of the things that he brought up as well. I think you need you guys need to take a bigger picture uh, in mind here. And while I was uh, home in Texas, I took the time to interview a few folks out there, uh, and one of them was a cattle farmer who owns uh, Strub's Ranch. They do the uh, Wagyu beef that's you know fifty dollars or a hundred dollars a pound that's marbled with fat that melts like butter and sells in the real high-end restaurants and so forth. Mm-hmm. Now they used to ship all, a lot of their beef 
over to Japan, where it's incredibly popular. Uh, but the the uh, regulations, because of the mad cow disease, put a stop to that, so it closed that market to them. Um, they have seen in the last year their business drop off by 40%. Yeah, I think Americans are eating a, a lot less beef right now, too. I think Especially beef is 50 bucks a pound. <laughs> right. Well, certainly. Now, but the same thing has happened across the industry, and this is one of the things that she told me in the middle of this interview, you guys are getting the scoop, um, is that uh, she said there's, there's expected to be a food shortage next year because right now prices are so low that, you know, they're sitting on half a million pounds of beef that's in the deep freeze that uh, they have at least $2,200 uh, ahead in and just feed costs because because of the ethanol thing corn prices went from 4 to 6 to 8 and i think are you guys still there yeah right yeah, here, yeah listening okay my phone uh, made a weird noise sorry um but but they've they've seen them go way up and now they've come back down a little bit but uh they they have 2200 invested in each head of cattle and their the market will only give them even at the prime beef rate well, Which isn't frozen. A yeah, I mean, and prime beef isn't generally frozen, so so they're in over their heads. They are, and you know, they said that this is the same across the industry, uh, and, and it, the, you know, they're mostly cattle farmers, but the agriculture business, the grains and so forth, are kind of in the same way. They also told me that. Well, uh, I can tell you uh, before you go on, Sam. I mean, there are huh? certainly before you go on, there is certainly the chance that some some people are going to go out of business, and I mean that's just because a variety of factors, or just because the you know the economics are uh, are kind of tough, and uh, the government is inflating the money supply, and there's all kinds of factors that have been thrown out of whack. But there's no shortage of stray cats out there. I think we'll be all right. Well, no, that's true to some extent. But what's happening right now is that sort of collapse of, uh, of farming. There are a lot of people that, that this lady told me about who had uh, just sort of pulled up stakes and gotten out of the business because they couldn't turn a profit at it. Uh, I could go up to the what's called the sale barn where they auction off uh, animals, and I can buy a calf for $7. And, uh, you know, it's 7 bucks for a, a live baby calf. It's cheap, and cheap, that's because cheap. The well, because of the cost to feed it mm-hmm. for the next two years to get it to full size where you can slaughter it and make a profit is $2,000. Now, what's the market rate right now? $1,500 for the $2,000 that yeah. you've invested in feed. That don't that work. That's going to destroy the supply of beef and cause a huge shortage. And she also mentioned, you know, the slaughterhouses are they're able to buffer the prices a little bit, but they're um, usually the larger corporate conglomerates that run them, and they're able to kind of set the, uh, the the per head price and control that to some extent, and they're able to do that to their benefit and to the farmer's detriment. Now, I've, I've um, heard that the dairy farmers have had a, a you know crappy year, too, and that uh, basically yes. anybody who's in uh, the dairy business has lost business the, the, or lost money this year, too. You know, I've, I've heard all these things, Sam, but, you know, all we're saying here is that it's going to drive up the price of food and that it's probably a good idea for you to have a certain, you know, a, 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 a few weeks, if not a couple of months worth of uh, food saved at your house just because that's a good idea in general. Um, you know, you know that's all. All we're claiming here is that it sounds like there might be the bears might be being too bearish. You know. 
Yeah, no, let me tell you about Pilgrim's Pride Chicken. Uh, they're one of the largest uh, chicken processing plants in the in the U.S. They're kind of like a Tyson's Chicken or forget who the other one Pretty. is. Now, they, uh, they expanded uh, as the banks were encouraging them to. Mm-hmm. Now, of course, the banks won't touch the farming industry uh, because there's, there, there's just no way to make money in it right now. And uh, they went bankrupt. And while I was down there, I went to talk to the company, but they had just changed over ownership the day before to a company that bought them out from New Zealand. So when we hear about this flood, this tidal wave of money coming back into the United States to buy up, anything you can. I think this is an example of that. And, that, you know, if um, prices do skyrocket and inflation, which the real inflation rate was like 7.1% last month, now it's 8 Next year it's expected to be 14%. That's going to further put pressure on the feed prices and on the stock prices. And um, farmers are going to have a real tough time making ends meet. And that New Zealand company could very well decide they want that uh, production brought back to their country or, you know, who knows what. But it, it could be the scenario that Frank sounds expensive. About. It sounds expensive to ship, uh, you know, food from the United States to New Zealand when you can. I mean, New Zealand isn't exactly barren of, uh, of, of uh, agricultural land. I mean, it's by and large an agricultural country. You know, they've got a couple of good-sized cities, but their good-sized cities don't 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 hold a candle to ours. Sure, uh, you know, there's no telling what they're going to do with the food, but uh, you you guys are playing it as though it's you know the small farmer on the corner is not going to uh, to, to send his chicken off to China when uh, there are people starving right here in the U.S. Well, yes, he is because all of those little independent farmers that are around the uh, area that, that my family farm is in have little signs out front that say Pilgrim's Pride Farm. Yeah. And they have to, they sign a contract for 10 years, uh, and the uh, Pilgrim's Pride forces them to adopt new technologies and new housing standards and, you know, make sure that they're delivering a, a good Very clean nice product that, yeah. Yeah. that they want. Yeah. Well, well, here in New um, England, it's it's big to buy local. I mean, it's everywhere in Maine and Vermont, yeah. here in New Hampshire. Um you know, I don't really see that it's it's going to go away here, in, in, at least in this region, anytime soon. Oh, no, no. It's going to get bigger, but it's going to cause a lot of problems as that market re- realigns itself. There are definitely likely problems coming to America. I just don't know if I believe anybody's going to be starving in the streets. Thanks, Sam, for the call tonight. Appreciate hearing from you at 800-259-9231. You can bring up anything. This is Free Talk Live. Help Free Talk Live via the AMP program for just $3 per month, and you'll get access to exclusive call-in lines, a chat room, and a forum at amp.freetalklive.com. This is Free Talk Live. You're invited to take control of the airwaves and bring up whatever's on your mind toll-free at 800-259-9231. That's the SACL CAI toll-free line. Joining you tonight, it's Ian here. And Luther. And Mark. And you can join us on our website at freetalklive.com. We give you all the features for free, so enjoy those on us. Again, that is freetalklive.com. Those features do include our updates. You get signed up. We'll keep you in the loop. Whenever there's something you need to know about Free Talk Live, just go to updates.freetalklive.com. Get on the list for free. 
That's updates.freetalklive.com. And we've been talking about this alleged food shortage that is uh, supposedly to come about here in the early portion of 2010. I think it's a little blown out of proportion, but on the same, on the other side of the coin, it's not necessarily a bad idea to have some stuff stocked up. And one of those things you might want to stock up on is Manchester Brewing. It's beer made from genuine Concord pond water. They don't get the <laughs> stuff from the sewers in Jersey like some of their beers they could mention. Manchesterbrewing.com, and that's actually not a bad thing to have uh, when you know when it comes to. Hard economic times, not only because you can drown your sorrows, but uh, also... An, beer is an excellent uh, commodity to trade oh, yeah. with which to trade. Any it, alcoholic drinks. Especially Manchester brew. Yeah. It's some tasty, tasty... Uh, it's a tasty beverage. Adult beverage. We continue with your phone calls here at 800-259-9231. Uh, got a different kind of food-related story coming up. Has nothing to do with the shortage. It's just ludicrous. Uh, we'll get to that here in a moment. Scott, though, is on the line in Winnipeg. Scott, you're on Free Talk Live. Hello, guys. Hey, what's hey. on your mind tonight? Hey, uh, I had a, I had a, oh, whoever's writing those Manchester Brewing commercials is brilliant. Yep. They're, they're pretty good. Um, I, I had a question for Mark, actually, um, about after he got out of jail. And what I'm wondering is, because we hear so many stories about people coming out of jail and just getting back into their old lifestyle and whatnot, but he is a success story. So I'm wondering, oh, how did he get, like, walking out the door, to, you know, working at the radio station, doing the sales, and, and then, you know, getting to where he is now without, you know, getting back in the trouble. Um, you know, I, I was I was in prison for nine years, uh, so I had a, a lot of time to sort of grow up and, and think about things and stuff like that. And I saw a lot of guys go and even some come back, even though it was a first-time offender uh, location that I was. Some of them would end up coming back on, like, probation violations and things like that. And the thing that I noticed was, that sort of, um, you know, to a large extent, people kind of, uh, the inmates kind of considered um, getting out of jail the finish line. And I realized that that was a mistake relatively early on and um, that, that getting out of jail was the starting point, not the finish line. Mm-hmm. And that somehow that, uh, you know, things were going to be good once they got free and i you know i don't see i don't see why they they necessarily thought that but um you know many of them had drug habits i didn't really have one um it, you know i i did some cocaine but i never considered myself a cocaine addict and it doesn't it doesn't uh, draw me in in that in that fashion and i'm sure that that was tough for a lot of them to deal with and i didn't really run with a gang or anything like that I honestly made some bad choices, ended up in a place where I wish I hadn't have been and, and uh, didn't essentially tell on my friend whom, you know, really, I wish I had because it probably wouldn't have caused me the problems that it did. I believe that the, the police were, were uh, you know, willing to work with me. Maybe not. I don't know. But, um, you know, and I, I, I read some books and, you know, there were some spiritual books, some financial books, and, and I felt that... Uh, I, I learned some things. One of them was Charles Givens, who later got sued, by the way, for some of his advice. But uh, more wealth without risk. I realized that opening your own business was probably a good way to make money, um, if for no other reason than you could hide. You, you know, not necessarily even hide, but uh, you know, the, you had a lot more tax write-offs with your own business than uh, anything else. And he pointed out that taxes were the uh, third largest expense that you'd spend in your life. The the first being uh, housing, and uh, second being cars. I think maybe taxes were second, and cars were third. But anyway, he uh, he made a distinction there, and um, you know, I. I Learned some things from there. Decided I was going to work for myself uh, relatively early on. Um, you know, I started getting 
after I'd been in quite a few years, missed a few opportunities to get out from a legal standpoint, I started to get kind of bitter. And then I found a book called uh, like Free on the Inside, I think it was, and it was sort of a, a Zen book that uh, taught me that I was as free as I decided I wanted to be and that uh, you know nobody did anything to me personally, that everybody did the things that they did in life in order to make themselves feel better. And that allowed me a lot of area for forgiveness um, if you, you know, consider that uh, you know nobody – is out to get you that really what it's all about is them and everything that they do, whether it's a revenge tactic or whether it's, uh, you know, whatever it is they're doing in order to make themselves feel better than, you know, it, it makes it a little easier that nothing's really personal in, in life. Um, it makes it a little easier to, uh, to, to do, you know, forgive people and forgiveness is, uh, is really best for the person doing the forgiving. The I, person, agree, I agree with that. The person being forgiven, they pr- probably don't even know it. So, um, they may not even care. Yeah, I was able to let go of a lot of uh, bitterness at that point, and I think that that traps a whole bunch of people that have been, you know, get locked up in like the five, six, seven, eight-year range. Um, that that's about the time that that starts occurring. Well, it's easy to be mad at somebody. Yeah, you've it's, been locked it's up. easy to blame people, and and you know, I mean, the prison's full of blamers and uh, people that blame other people and haven't learned you know much in life lesson don't take don't don't take uh, con- control in their own lives and and that's really what I I learned is that I'm in charge of me and nobody else is in charge of me and if I don't take care of me nobody else is going to and the best way to take care of me is to uh, you know work hard and and take take, take advantage of uh, the, the the free market as it is in the United States the freest market around um, at least in the immediate vicinity so oh. Those are the oh, sorry. Uh, I was just going to ask, so when you decided that you were going to go for the radio gig, uh, did you, was it hard to, to get that, to get into it, or the first job, like, oh, you're in jail for nine years, you know? Uh, what was that like? Well, um, another thing I decided is that, uh, there, uh, that the, the system itself is pretty inefficient, that wow. there isn't a big computer in the sky that tells people whether or not <laughs> you've been locked up. And um, I, I decided that it would, you know, not be in my best interest to just go informing people. Now, most impl- applications have some silly thing like, have you been uh, convicted of a felony in the last five years or something like that? I got out after being locked up for nine years. I hadn't been convicted of a felony in the last five years. So, <laughs> so I was able to truth, truthfully answer that question on a couple of occasions. But I, I worked for my, um, you know, I worked for my uncle and doing a. Uh, Know, uh, fixing up some uh, apartments and stuff like that that he had. Then I worked at waiting tables. I even worked at Outback for a little while. Um, I, I then started at a, um, a fitness place because, well, you know, what do convicts know? I know how to work out. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, I, you know, I enjoyed it. It was fun. I had a good time working there. And, uh, you know, I got to do something I enjoyed, which was working out. And one of the things, you know, they would do is they do these specials. I kind of went in there expecting to help people work out and that kind of thing. Found out I had a propensity of ability to uh, be able to give, you know, to sell people memberships, to uh, to help them in their fitness uh, regimen by getting them a gym membership. And so I, you know, ended up doing that. And um, by and large, that's what they'd send me and send me in to do. And a man named Big Jim Davis came in one day with a with deep dulcet tones, and he uh, he slapped down with the coupons that we had, and and we talked for a while, and he 
Said he liked my style and he wanted me to come into the radio stations and do an interview with his uh, sales manager, which means I was already hired at that point. We can bring it back here if you uh, want to continue your line of questioning. Scott, moments uh, in moments, 800-259-9231. Mark's history post-prison. <laughs> this is Free Talk Live. You can bring up anything to control of the airwaves. 800-259-9231. This is Free Talk Live, and you can take control of the airwaves. Bring up whatever you want. Toll free at 800-259-9231. That's the SACL CAI toll free line. And tonight, it's Ian with you. And Luther. And Mark. And you can join us online at freetalklive.com. We give you all the features for free. So enjoy those on us, including archives. Uh, if you've missed a moment of the show, they're right there on the front page of the website, and now uh, we've brought back the dial-up podcast. So what happened with that? Well, uh, well, I got rid of the the dial-up archives. We got rid of the dial-up podcast a couple of years ago, and okay. we kept the dial-up archives. Just you'd have to go to the front page of the website, click and download anytime you wanted to get the dial-up version of the show. Low bandwidth for people with uh, slow connections and things like that. And then recently, uh, it was decided. That because we have a limited amount of space on our podcast host... By it that, decided, you mean you decided. I decided. Yeah. Uh, that, uh, well, I mean, I consulted with a, with a couple people before I did it, but because we have a limited amount of storage space on our podcast host and the dial-up archives were getting one one-hundredth of the downloads of our regular podcast, it just didn't seem that they were justified. It was justified having them there anymore, so... We got rid of the uh, the dial-up archives at that point and expanded the regular archives into that space. So we took the regular archives from 32 kilobits per second up to 48 kilobits per second. Was so, anybody complaining about the quality of the archives at 32 kilobits per second? No, no one was complaining. No one was complaining. But But as far as the podcast industry goes... Ours were on the low side. Okay. Now it now we have a longer podcast and we have a two hour show every night, six nights a week. Uh, it's three hours on the radio, but once you take the commercial breaks and the news breaks out, it comes down to about two hours, pretty much almost on the dot. Uh, but that's a lot longer than your average podcast. I mean, most podcasts run from what fifteen minutes to an hour max. Oh, I, 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 some of them are even shorter than that. Yeah. So, uh, so it's, I think they've gotten longer as time has gone by. I mean, early in the podcasting era, era you had like Paris Hilton doing her three-minute podcast or something like that whenever she felt like it. Well, it just depends. There are different podcasts that have sure different lengths. But ours is one of, has to be one of the most consistently long podcasts out there in yes. the uh, the whole podcasting world. So to some extent, we can get away with being at a lower quality level. But most many other podcasts are distributing at very very uh, high quality audio levels. So we're we're a little more competitive in that area now with our 48 kilobit per second uh, regular downloads. But it also meant that the dial up podcasts went away or the dial up archives went away. And I thought I had thought that well. You know, if you have a dial-up connection, you can just leave it on overnight, and then you you can still get the the regular version of the show. But what one of the people who who emailed to complain point out uh, pointed out, I didn't notice anybody really complaining. They were kind of you know pleading their case more than anything. I mean, they were kind about okay. it. Okay, they were very nice about it, but they didn't like the fact that the uh, the dial-up archives nobody had likes away. change. They didn't think about it. sure. So one of the points that he made was he's on a satellite connection, and apparently on some of those satellite internet connections, they meter the bandwidth that you get. And I'm so used to broadband, I, or dial-up is also unlimited, I'm so used to unlimited internet that I don't ever really, didn't even think about that. I thought, wow, that's, you know, that's a pretty great point, that essentially this guy gets 200 bucks, or 200 uh, megs, 
It was either per day. I think it might have been per day. Anyway, he gets a very small amount of uh, download bandwidth, mm-hmm. and essentially our our podcast, one episode of it, because it is so long, was about became 25% of his download limit. Mm. So that was, for me, a pretty persuasive reason to put it back up, even though it's only servicing at most a couple dozen of our of our listeners uh i did bring it back and i brought it back in podcast form as well so now you don't have to click every time you want to download something you can just plug the dial-up podcast into your podcast client and you can use free talk live we care about our listeners doing our best here okay we're doing our best 800-259-9231 by the way you can find the dial-up podcast right there in our archive column front page of freetalklive.com and the left uh the left hand side of the page so we continue here. Uh, Scott dropped off the line in Winnipeg. He was asking you about your experiences uh, after you gotten out of jail uh, or in, out of prison. You were there for nine years, accused of something that you uh, really didn't do. But nonetheless, you you got out and you made a better life for yourself. You know, Ian, I, I hate it when I, I understand what you're what you do when you say it that way. But I have always tried to take responsibility, and I feel that um, for what I did, and I although you didn't do what they accused you of doing. Indeed, I, I'm. I'm Went to prison for murder and didn't kill anyone. <laughs> so you don't want to get that out there that make people think you did that when you didn't do it. Well, you know, I I, I feel I made some mistakes along the way. You did. And I mean, you were in the wrong and place. And, and, you know, like I made some really bad choices that harmed people, and I don't— No doubt about it. You, you know, and so, so I try not to shirk that particular responsibility. I don't think saying you didn't kill somebody is shirking responsibility. I, I, I see your point. Um, anyway, there's the one less— one le- So you were working at the gym— yeah. Selling gym memberships. Uh, Big Jim Davis comes in from the radio station and essentially prospected you for his sales team. Yeah, yeah, he did, and it was it was great. I I went to work. Uh, he headhunted you, as yeah. they call it. <laughs> well, I. Uh, he he has a he's very much a stickler about not headhunting from other radio stations. However, apparently he doesn't have the same feeling about uh, um, gym, other salesmen yeah, anywhere else. <laughs> salesmen at uh, gyms. Um, so, uh, you know, it, in that particular instance, I, I went to work, um, you know, uh, for him relatively shortly thereafter, and uh, you know, did the the radio thing. And I I realized that I wanted to sell radio for the rest of my life. I really no enjoyed kidding. the career, um, and you know, I didn't go into radio like you did to be on the air. I I was a salesman and yeah. and at some point or another you actually asked me to to handle the phones and um on Free Talk Live and you know it was a small show and it's not like we were getting paid or anything like that. So I said sure, I'll handle the phones for you on a Sunday night in Sarasota, Florida. Yeah. And so then we went weeknights and the I rest is history. It's true, but I, I one interesting uh, little thing here is you know I said I want to do radio sales all my life and I was kind of a ditto head back in you know the early late late 90s early aughts and yeah you know what i said was my career goal was to sell um nationally syndicated radio for rush limbaugh no yep. really yeah really you can uh, put that there on the uh, wiki uh, bio page oh, what if you never make it there i mean what if you never achieve i that have goal? no intention of doing that i'm selling nationally syndicated oh, okay. uh you know I'm, I'm selling my own nationally syndicated show my <laughs> so life right now, now is better than i ever imagined it oh you're so. welcome. 800-259-9231. Hate you. Hate you. Sometimes right. I cry at night. I hate you so much. <laughs> okay. So let's go into a little bit of a different area here. Uh, let's not forget who runs this damn show. I bring the money in. I am the, the fuel that... 1-800-259-9231. Denied. <laughs> I muted his mic in case you couldn't tell since he was talking about who runs the show. All right. So <laughs> the story is from Stephen Kinsella, 
who is an intellectual property, a patent attorney who apparently hates his job because he is against intellectual property. And who better to uh, to talk about intellectual property than somebody who's involved in it uh, on a daily basis for their career? In fact, uh, Stephen Kinsella has written very lengthy uh, papers on intellectual property and why it's a bad idea. Uh, and he's, he's they're very lengthy, and we're certainly not going to have time to uh, to share any of that with you. But what he's talking about in this story over at Mises.org is trademark. And he points out that a lot of people agree that copyrights and patents are evil and should be abolished, and those of many of us who are in the uh, the liberty movement. But what about other forms of IP, such as trademark? He points out that one problem is that IP isn't really property at all. It's just an umbrella term linking distinct, mostly artificial, positive rights created by the legislature out of thin air. Legally recognized rights arising from some type of intellectual creativity or that are otherwise related to ideas. He points out that the patent, or thus, patent gives a monopoly to a way of using or configuration of practical, useful devices, that is, inventions, while copyright gives a monopoly to certain uses of original creative patterns of information, like novels or paintings or something like that, while trademark protects a set of rights clustered around one's reputation, and trade secret is more like a type of contractual right to keep people from revealing secret information. He says, from what I've seen, it's clear that to most activist opponents of IP that copyright and patents are terrible. But it's not so clear what's wrong with other types of IP, such as trade secrets and trademark. What about these and other rights, such as various other trademark-related rights? And he goes on to, uh, to bring up a very interesting point about trademark and how it is that it actually is uh, a really bad idea. And it doesn't seem like it. It seems like, well, it's my uh, logo. You know, that's my business name. And we'll get into it. Yeah, here you better little... have a real good argument yeah. here. We'll get into it here in a little bit. 800-259-9231. You can bring up anything. This is Free Talk Live. Free Talk Live, and you can take control of the airwaves via the toll-free number at 800-259-9231. That's the SACL CAI toll-free line. 800-259-9231. Even in these remaining moments, maybe enough time for your call. If you make it right now, tonight it's Ian with you. And Luther. And Mark. Join us online at freetalklive.com, and all the features there are completely free. If you like the show and you want to help support Free Talk Live, go to promote.freetalklive.com and get a whole list of things you can do to help get Free Talk Live onto more radio stations and into more people's ears around the world via the internet over at promote.freetalklive.com. Now, from creating new and old media to political action to civil disobedience and market-based activism, you'll find more pro-freedom activism than you might have ever imagined possible when you move to New Hampshire as part of the Free State Project. Learn more at freestateproject.org. That's freestateproject.org. And we're talking right now about a topic that is is one that is uh, a very controversial uh, discussion amongst liberty-minded people. It's something that will really create some polar opposites because and, – and we've gotten into really detailed conversations about things like copyright and patents on this show – 
And I don't know, uh, Luther. Probably more detailed than we ever should. <laughs> Luther, you're relatively new to the, the program, so I don't think you've been here for any of these uh, intellectual property conversations. I happen to know you're a musician, yep. so I don't know how you feel as a musician about copyright. It tends to be that musicians and artists and uh, folks in the creative uh, realm like that are for things like copyright. I'm not. You are not in no. favor of that. Okay. Uh, I'm more in, uh, a fan of the folk traditions when, you know, songs were just songs. Nobody owned a song. I mean... I can get a song stuck in my head. Does that mean I don't own that part of my brain just because you need it's to pay copyrighted? Rights. Yeah, yeah. Pay the pay the ASCAP fees on yeah. on that one. Okay, well, I'm I'm glad to hear that. Uh, but but I don't want to really get into copyright tonight because and, and also besides, uh, I always made a lot more money on merchandise than I ever did on my songs. On the songs. So. Well, it, it it tends to be the uh, mostly the musicians that uh, you know have have really really made it and aren't doing anything anymore. You know, Bono's busy running around the world trying uh, to to institute socialism. Yeah, it's for uh, the starving children. Right, <laughs> the starving children. They're the ones that want copyright. Is right, what you're that's that's right. And you know, it's it's the has-beens that want the copyright yeah. uh, more or less. And uh, you know, I. I what can you say to that? I understand that uh, many musicians uh, who are coming up sort of, uh, you know, imagine themselves in that role of has been um, and would like to, you know, sit around and do nothing and make money on their songs. And, yeah. I, you know, and, I, and I guess I can get a I can understand a royalty like uh, if you record a song and uh, that CD sells somewhere down the road and hey, hey I did that. You know, I, I was part of that. Don't I don't I get a cut? Uh, I, I guess I can understand that. But. I think that I don't know. I mean, you know, the, I think that the marketplace, for one, if you look at um, movie stars and rock and rollers, are really this country and this era's aristocracy. Do we want to create more yeah. of that? Oh, I hate rock stars. <laughs> yeah. Let's uh, let's jump here into the discussion about trademark from Mises.org. Stephen Kinsella, who is a uh, an intellectual property attorney, actually, even though he's completely against intellectual property. He uh, points out, and very, a very intellectual guy, uh, by the way, he's, he's written lengthy papers on this topic, but he's talking in uh, detail about trademark, and he points out that, uh, in his view, the newfangled extensions to, of trademark law, rights against trademark dilution and cyber-squatting, etc., cyber-squatting being where you would speculatively purchase uh, a domain name expecting that it may become valuable someday to a company that maybe hadn't thought to purchase that uh, domain name prior to you purchasing it, mm-hmm. and then you essentially just sit on it. Until that company comes calling someday saying, hey, we'd like to buy that from you, then you can just charge them whatever you want. Uh, Apparently that's illegal or something like that now in this country. Anyway, he says obviously that's invalid. Further, federal trademark law is is problematic since it's not authorized by the Constitution. Uh, he points out that copyright and patents are, but not trademarks. Trademark relies on the Interstate Commerce Clause, and thus the federal trademark law only covers trademark connected to interstate commerce and doesn't preempt state law, so that state trademark law still governs many intrastate situations. But even if federal trademark law were abolished, as well as modern extensions such as rights against trademark dilution, even common law trademark is problematic for three primary reasons. First, it is enforced by the state, which gets everything wrong. Second, see the first, the test of consumer confusion is usually applied ridiculously, treating consumers like indiscriminating idiots. Third, and worst of all, the right, uh, the right at issue is the right of the defrauded consumer, not of the competitor. And I think this is the, the, definitely the most interesting point he makes. And that is trade law, uh, trademark law ought to be reformed, if you're going to keep it around, that it ought to be reformed by abolishing the right of the trademark owners to sue the infringers directly. 
except perhaps as a proxy for customers when consent can be presumed approved. And treating this as a case of the customer's right to sue a vendor who defrauds him as to the nature of the good purchased. Some might argue this is only a minor change, but it's not. Such a change would make it clear that knockoffs are usually not a violation of anyone's rights. The buyer of a $10 Rolex is almost never defrauded. He knows exactly what he's getting. Yet by giving an enforceable trademark to the user of a mark, he can sue knockoff companies even though their customers aren't being defrauded and in fact are perfectly happy to buy the knockoff products. So do you see what he's saying there? Yeah. That that uh, instead of one company being able to just go and knock his uh, competitors out that might be making similar products or you know the the Oki company selling uh, Chinese uh, uh, glasses Joe instead Blaise. of Oakley, Oakley yeah, yeah. Uh, they, tr- trying to sue them out of business, if somebody feels they've been defrauded, they could go against one of their customers could go against that company because well in the free marketplace in a, the libertopia that many of us might envision fraud is still prohibited. It's still uh, a crime to en- engage in acts of fraud. Right. Mm-hmm. It's wrong to sell someone a Rolex at, at some price that is consens- commensurate as a Rolex at, if they believe it's a Rolex. It's right. another thing entirely if some guy on the street comes up to you and says, hey, want to buy this watch? It's great. I got Rolexes, uh, Baga- B- B- Bulevas, you know, whatever, whatever kind of watches here. Ten bucks a piece. Come on. You think you're buying a Rolex? Really? <laughs> and if you do think you're buying a Rolex, you ought to be ashamed of yourself for buying some stolen merchandise. Now, IP proponents says uh, Kinsella often assume trademark law is unproblematic and then try to lump types of IP together so that they stand or fall together. For example, it could be argued that if you are for reputation, which I am, then you must be for trademark. And if you're for trademark, you must be for intellectual property, and thus you cannot be opposed to IP in principle, so you can't oppose copyright and patent. Now, one fallacy of this argument is that it relies on the positive law uh, conceptual grouping of different areas of artificial legislated law to make its point. But there's no reason one has to favor the validity of copyright or patent law, even if one supported trademark law. Each has different defects and a different nature. The other fallacy is the view at work here that there is no such thing as reputation or even identity absent trademark law. But that's incorrect. Of course, people and firms can have reputations even if trademark law is non-existent. All that's required is people be able to identify other people and firms and communicate. Pro-trademark arguments often implicitly assume this isn't possible, absent state-enforced trademark law, which is ridiculous. For example, how can there be fraud if the vendor is free to call himself whatever he wants? What if Joe Schmo sets up a knockoff McDonald's restaurant? Well, it is McDonald's. That's what it calls itself. Mac Arnold's. And the real McDonald's can't stop it without trademark rights. So why is that fraud? Well, because the consumer is deceived as to the nature of the goods that he's buying. And the other thing to uh, the other thing to realize is that consumers aren't stupid. You know what's funny is McDonald uh, McDonald is one of the um, I think the top fifty last names in United in the United States or at least was mm-hmm. the relatively recent past. Yeah. So if my last name is McDonald and um, I can't open a restaurant called McDonald's. Yeah. I, I, what is I've wrong seen, with it? I've seen a Denny's diner that's not associated with Denny's at oh, all. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. You can. You could. Uh, I don't know. It would, I guess it would just depend on whether Denny's wanted to pick you off or not. I, I don't know. Yeah. Do uh, you want to? Do you want to go into that legal battle with McDonald's or or whomever? No. Who would? Yeah. The other mess. Th- the other thing to realize is consumers aren't stupid. They can spot a knockoff easily. And the trademark frauds are usually going to be marginal low life types who would never compete with a legitimate business anyway. Uh, certainly not in that open kind of fashion. 
fashion us to open a competing McDonald's right across the street, the kind of company that makes knockoff Rolexes, which doesn't fool its customers. Consider, you've got a successful burger joint. Let's call it Tommy's. Now, suppose they have no trademark and another Tommy's pops up. So if you want the original Tommy's, where do you go? You go to the original Tommy's, which just calls itself the original Tommy's. A similar phenomenon is happening online in places like Twitter, where some of the well-known people and celebrities' names are already taken, like Dvorak, uh, who's a famous computer guy, John Dvorak. So what does John Dvorak do? Well, he doesn't go and sue the person for taking their uh, their name or, or throw a hissy fit over it. He just uses the name The Real Dvorak. End of problem. No anti-Twitter squatting law is necessary. So if some other Tommies tries to deceive customers into thinking it's owned by the same guy that owns the original Tommies, then they're eventually going to get sued or have only marginal customers as people figure out that this new place is run by seedy liars. And this is something that we can easily handle in today's day and age with the Internet and information passing. Yeah, he makes, he makes uh, some good points. All right. We're out of time. Uh, it's been Ian here oh, with you. It's over. And Luther. Sorry, and Mark. I was listening to you. <laughs> we will return tomorrow night for the live Saturday edition. Join us then and online in the meantime at freetalklive.com. Attention, all active duty members and veterans of the U.S. military. Your proud service to your country entitles you with the right to participate in special VA loan programs with benefits not available to the general public like the ability to purchase a new home with no down payment or mortgage insurance, or refi with cash out up to 100% of your present home equity with less strict credit criteria. You are entitled to these benefits. Review them online at varadio.com. This is Tim Lewis from iFreedom Direct and a veteran of Operation Iraqi Freedom. I want you to know that as a member or veteran of the United States military, you've earned special rights and privileges. On your feet and get the details at varadio.com. iFreedom Direct Corporation is a private lender approved by the VA and licensed in most states. In certain states, certain restrictions and limitations apply. For a current list of licenses, disclosures, and all benefits, go to varadio.com. varadio.com.